Hello and welcome to your first day of Magical Dub Studies. I'm your professor, Megan, and let's get over some rules in our syllabus first. Uh, the first rule here at the Dub Talk Ma Dubby Magic Academy is that uh, strong language and situations that are not suitable for all audiences will occur in this room, so that listener's discretion is advised. We might summon a random fuck monster or a turd biscuit, so, you know, just watch your step. Uh, second, in our theories portions of the class, we will uh, advise you that spoilers for the case file of Lord Elmaloy II, Real Zeppelin Grace Notes, uh, will be spoiled, as well as other parts of Fate Zero and the uh, Fate franchise as a whole. Also other spoilers, so if you would like to watch those series and then come back and watch this episode, uh, we recommend that before you get into our course. And third, that remember that all of the things said by your professors in this room are that of the individual participants and don't reflect the dub the Dubby's Magic Academy as a whole. Alright, so I see we got a new class and... Yeah, what do you mean there's a unicorn in someone's house? No, he didn't. It's okay. What evidence did you find? Oh, there was unicorn feces on the floor. You're going to make detective in no time. Uh, just, all right, give me like a minute. Hey, hey, Steph, come on. I, I, I got to go. I'll leave this class to the other clowns. Uh, surely Andrew won't set anything on fire and Hardy won't summon a goat again. Uh, be right back after we solve the mystery of the unicorn in the bedroom. Hello, fair students, and welcome to the Dub Talk Tower, a place where magical, magical podcasters get together, have weird inter interdepartment politics, maybe murder each other, and find out the who done it and why done it. Tonight, I am your host, Megan, with my friend, the head of the studio department, Jet. Yeah, the head of the cute animal department, Roots. I just made my poop disappear with magic. And the head of the horny department, Andrew. Ooh, ooh, teach, teach. Is it true that with tenure, you could do whatever the fuck you want and not get fired for it? Only, only if you go to the school in Irma. Uh. And this one, apparently. Welcome to Magic College. Welcome to Magic. Well, okay. Welcome to a Magic College that isn't based on transphobia from what we know of. That we know of. I mean, granted, like, look, it's the Fate universe. There could be some shady underbellies. Behind. I mean, I, mean uh, I wouldn't exactly trust Nazi there, so. Touche. Fair enough. Okay, well, at least we know the ma the magicians here don't shit their pants and warp it away. Oh, goddy. That's... <laughs> oh, that was a fun thing we learned since the last Fate episode we did. Reminder, fuck was it that one. long ago? I feel like it was. My god. You know what was kind of a long time ago? A little anime called Fate Zero. A decade ago at this point. Holy shit, really? It Yeah, Fate Zero oh came god, out in 2011. Oh my god, Andrew, you're right. Stop, don't say anymore. Oh my I... god, it literally is almost ten years to the day. Stop, stop, I We're... feel like that guy from, <laughs> from the Last Crusade. Oh, Oh, God. So, 
<laughs> so, uh, uh, nine years. I'm sorry, eight years after that, they decided to make a sequel to Fate Zero based on a set of light novels by a man, a person named Mato uh, Makoto Sadada called The Case Files of Lord El Malloy II. Because by a show, by a question to the class, what was the best part of Fate Zero? I feel like there's a lot of debatability about that, but I definitely say one of my favorite groups of characters in Fate Zero was definitely uh, Iskandar and his servant master boy, Waver Velvet. See, I'm surprised you didn't say the copious amounts of porn that came from it. <laughs> it did fuel Saber and Iris veal pornography, which is, which is the good shit. Frankly, it's more it's more love that Iris Vale ever got than Iris Vale ever got from a uh, our, <laughs> our good friend Kiritsugu. Uh, Kiritsugu was many things, not always good things, but he was many things. He was good at killing moms. He was good at killing moms, considerably so. You, he, he, he used a rocket launcher and probably got in a Call of Duty montage for it. Anyway, full disclosure, we are, by the very nature of the show that we're covering, we will be spoiling a lot of Fate Zero and potentially some of Unlimited Blade Works. We do have episodes on both of those shows and their dubs on the channel already if you'd like to watch them, as well as the dubs being viewable via Funimation. I believe they're still on Netflix... Uh, and I think Zero's on Crunchyroll, at least. Yeah, I, I think there's also some Apocrypha to go into, too, actually. A tad bit of Apocrypha, which... We'll get to that! We'll get to that, because of all the franchises and fate that needed to be referenced. At least they brought the good Apocrypha One of the good Apocrypha characters. Um, this one's got a lot of fan service. Anyway... Uh, so let's get on with the summary, which is taking place after the ten taking place ten years after the events of the Fourth Holy Grail War, in two months before the events of the State Fate Stay Night, Fate Unlimited Blade Works, and Fate uh, Heaven's Feel arcs. The story focuses on Lord Elmolo II, formerly known as Waver Velvet, a successor of Kanith and former master of the Last Grail War, who is now a professor under the ranks of the Mages Association. In his years as a professor at the Clock Tower, he is acting as the temporary head of the El Malay household until a proper successor can take over. When strange mysteries involving magic start occurring through London, he teams up with his apprentice, Grey, to solve these magical cases and expose the hidden conspiracies that drive the Mages Association. Have you ever wondered if the best character in Fate grew up to be a tired millennial with a bunch of weird children and having to travel along with a girl with a magic talking cube and a lantern case? Have you wanted more of Waver Velvet being done with this fucking world? That is. Have you wanted to have you wanted to see an albino man suddenly spew blood? You know what? I didn't want that, but you have intrigued me with the premise of albino man spewing blood. <laughs> have you ever wanted to see the most beloved character in all of Fate Zero get ratcheted by a tiny three-year-old girl while being hung upside down? <laughs> Have you ever wanted to see three women get stuck inside of a magical Macy's? 
Have you ever wanted to see a train turn into a fucking railgun powered by eyes? Look, you could have stopped at Waver Velvet and I would have been sold. At this point, the rest of that is just is just filling. And have you ever wanted to see a dog man who's not a dog man, but has powers of a dog man? Also, the roses. The electrical roses. I'm not going to explain what a rose is. You should know that by now, you fucking nerds. Anyway, speaking of fucking nerds, I have these three with me uh, so that we can talk about the dub of this provided by our friends over at, I'm going, Bang Zoom. Right, Bang Zoom does all the fate. My bad. Uh, our, the dub provided by our friends at Bang Zoom as paid for by the one and only Anaplex of America. So let's get this started off with our director and our writer. Our ADR director for this is Christian Lamont and our ADR our ADR writer is Erica Mendez. Christian Lamont, you'll know, is the director for such anime such as Cells at Work, uh, Magia Record, Puella Magi Madoka Magica Side Story, as well as doing a lot of video game uh, video game directing, most notably 13 Sentinels Aegis Rims. Please play 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I own it. Uh, I bought it on sale. I promise I'll get to it at some point. I'm really curious. Me too. Uh, Erica Mendez, this is not her first time at the Fate Rodeo. She was the ADR director of Fate Apocrypha, Fate Extra Last Encore, as well as The Wonderland. Uh, so tonight we'll be giving our, our thoughts on the 14, 13, 14? 14. 14 episodes of the stub because there is an episode zero that came out like months beforehand. And then uh, the show itself was 13 episodes. Uh, let's get this started off with Roots. Yeah. Um, a very interesting thing with the script writing. It strikes a very delicate balance. Um, ordinarily, I complain when dubs feel too dry and too stiff. Um, but considering the subject matter of the Lord Elmoloy, the second case files, uh, that actually works in its favor. Um, a lot of info gets dumped on you at once. And at the same time, it doesn't particularly feel like an info dump. A lot of very interesting things going on with, with that. And then also, at the same time, um, when things are meant to get sort of... There are points in the series where the comedy ramps up and things get really punchy. Um, script writing generally is able to keep up with that really well. Um, also, the casting and direction are pretty spot on. So... I know I'm making this kind of quick, but thumbs up. Awesome. Thanks, Roots. Uh, Andrew, do you want to go? Uh, yes. Yes, I will. Um, I'll say this. The, the thing I was most surprised about when I saw this is that uh, when it comes to uh, Fate and Bang Zoom, almost every uh, Fate title is done and directed by one Tony Oliver. So it was pretty interesting seeing a, another director actually step into the helm for this one. But I'll definitely say uh, Christian seems like a very commendable director and a very solid, worthwhile pick to take over for Tony. Uh, he, he brought back a lot of different people from the Fate Mythos, put them and they're all in one crackpot, as well as a couple of new slash returning faces. Because there's a lot of people from old Fate dubs that were in that character in old Fate dubs that are in this new Fate dub. And there's also people that were in previous Fate dubs who are new characters in this new Fate dub. And I'm making this overly convoluted, but 
Uh, it's fate at this point. You know, you know what you signed up for, and what you're signing up for this time around is the magical anime version of a super hulak show. You've got a little bit. Of, you've got the Sherlock, obviously. That's a, that's pretty obvious. You've got the supernatural, and a little bit of the Doctor Who in the form of the sci-fi train. With a lot of weird murdered fairies and denizens, and there's just a guy in the background with a fucking frog for a head, and nobody ever mentions him? What do you mean you don't like the Chrono Trigger reference? So yeah, no, this Fate series is a lot of the magic lore mythos of the Fate universe in the skies of a murder mystery whodunit series, starring tired, disgruntled... Waver Velvet, which is a weird premise. I'm not 100% sure how much I loved it, but I'll say the direction of everybody in this cast really, really made it a much more enjoyable experience for me overall. Christian does a great job, as well as Erica, adding a lot of flair, a lot of, uh, a lot of clever, clever wittiness to it. I think they, they did especially a great job with, uh, Waver's dialogue in particular, I love the additions to just making him say elementary all the time when it's just like, okay, yeah, no, we're just going full uh, Sherlock on this, and I appreciate that. It man There's a lot of science techno, techno babble that they managed to make coherent and as comprehensible as can be. I'm not going to say it made it comprehensible because some of it was weird. Like, some of the magic concepts in this were about as far-fetched and science magic babble as it gets. But no, I'm kind of rambling now. Fate show, what did you think? I know, but this one it was especially very, uh, yeah. But all in all, uh, Christian definitely adds a lot to some of these character deliveries, and Erica adds a lot to the character's dialogue overall. It's a very enjoyable combination, and I think they did a really good job uh, adding to the Fate lore, legacy, and history of Fate dubs. Some thanks, Andrew. Uh, let's go ahead with Jet. Uh, so, yeah, like Andrew was saying, it was uh, interesting seeing a different director handling the Fate thing, because I am gotten pretty used to Tony Oliver doing Fate stuff at this point. But uh, I think Christian did a really good job of picking up the meds. All the direction here is really solid. Um, all of the performances here sound pretty smooth. It sounds about as consistent as any other fake dub, so that's uh, definitely uh, a pretty solid praise. Uh, Script-wise, I thought Erica did a, a really good job here, as he definitely showed with Apocrypha, that she has like a pretty uh, good handle on how to deal with fake stuff. Uh, because like even in this show, there is a lot of pros, as is with every fake thing. And uh, while that kind of and while that kind of proves to be uh, kind of a little tricky to make to you know uh, have it flow well in English, I thought uh, Erica did a really good job of making it work and uh, having a little fun with it every now and then with I guess some fun detective quips. Uh, so yeah, uh, really good about that. Awesome, thanks. For me, this is really weird. Because I actually watched this show as it aired subtitled. Really? Yes, I watched every episode of this as it came out in 2019. Same. I, did, and, I too watched a couple, but not the whole thing. 
I, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> I think I watched up to the first four episodes before I fell off it, because I was intrigued, but I definitely wasn't enamored by this show. This is definitely a show for if you really fucking like Waver Velvet, the character. <laughs> um, there's no, there's no, there's no ways around this. If you did not give two fucks about his character, you're not going to give two fucks about this show. Is this show a good mystery show? Debatable. Oh, uh, that's very debatable. Uh, debatable. Uh, as, as, this uh, is not a good mystery. Uh, okay, okay, is... okay, that's not even debatable. It's, it's just a no. It is too... It's too relied on a bunch of lore that most people yeah. aren't really going to understand anything. Give a shit about. So. Like, if you are not fully invested into the Fate franchise as a whole, the show is not going to do anything for you. And if you don't like good mystery shows, this isn't going to do a lot for you. If you like really good mystery shows, this is not the show for you. Like the... You are 100% watching this show because you're me and you're a slut for Wafer Velvet. Like, <laughs> the, big, yeah. the big murder mystery is the train murder mystery. And everything... Which is like the last six episodes of the show, the first five are fucking filler. Like, literally, the fucking train thing was... The outcome of that was almost like... I couldn't even follow how things were happening. So, yeah, so, yeah. I, it was ridiculous. Yeah, I pretty, yeah. Honestly, almost none of the mysteries are actually possible to solve on your own as the audience, really. But like the one thing I do again, I want to add to the compliments on is that Erica Mendez's writing on this does make a lot of the techno babble and the magic babble very comprehensible. Uh, it's a real testament when you make stuff that is very very lore centric to a certain franchise come off as very easy to understand and very palatable um i can't give her more compliments for that i do think that uh like everybody else said the script walks the fine line of being faithful to to it while adding a little bit of just flair but to me the real thing that excels in this is the voice direction for many people it feels like if they played this character in another fate franchise they walked immediately and were able to slip back into the skin of this character, and especially the actor for Lord Elmoloy II, who by far has to do, I think, some of the most taxing carrying of the performances. This is a character that everybody knows very well from a, a now 10-year-old French, a now 10-year-old story that is still regarded as the pinnacle of the, one of the pinnacles of the Fate multimedia franchise. Like, and for me, I actually didn't like watching the subtrack for this. I much prefer the dub of Fate of the Case Files of Lord Elmoloy. No, no offense to uh, Daisuke Namikawa, but to me, Daisuke. Okay, a lot of offense to Daisuke Namikawa. I will give at least some offense to Daisuke Namikawa. Daisuke Namikawa, the person, can kind of fuck off, but Daisuke Namikawa, the actor, is a pretty good actor. Um, but to me, that, that performance is not Lord El Malloy to me. Like, there are very few dubs where I say, like, there is a superior version, in my opinion. And to me, the actor who plays Lord El Malloy in English is always going to be the superior version of that character. Oh, 100%. I think, yeah, like, yeah. I, like, I genuinely, I think it's one of the most perfect performances ever put to a dub. Um, that said... I also want to really compliment a lot of the new edition characters. There's a lot of casting in here that I actually wouldn't have thought of. Like, uh, Rhinus' actor. Not the person I thought would who would be playing Rhinus. Uh, 
Arenas, um, just there's a lot of really fun casting in this. And the set, the only thing I have to really complain about this dub is not on Christian and Erica's fault. This one goes to Anaplex of America itself. Uh, how so? Uh, please credit your fucking actors. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I wanted to talk about Trisha, who's a very big part of the Rail Zeppelin part. I could not find any information who played her on A&N. We asked people who we thought it was on Twitter and unfortunately didn't get an answer from them or Christian Lamont, which I can completely understand why those two people didn't respond to us. It's not their job to tell us every casting information for every show they've ever done. And this is a complaint I'm going to lodge at all anime companies, except for Sentai. Sentai gets to escape this because they're the only mainstream anime company who credits all of their actors for their simul- uh, for their dubcast simuldub stuff. Like, start crediting your fucking actors. It's really exhausting, and it's just really bad to mistake people from other people, so we couldn't talk about them. Originally, uh, Dr. Heartless and Carvo, who are two other really big characters in this, weren't credited on the DVD, on the Blu-ray release, and the Blu-ray at all. They're not credited on uh, Anaplex's website for this work. They're not credited in the art book that comes with the Blu-ray set, which, by the by, all of us have bought this except for Andrew, who got it gifted to him. Yeah, that was a fun surprise. Yeah, this is um, this one's not currently streaming right now, which okay. is kind of yeah, annoying. Like, annoying. Like, at least, we put at least $400, $500 between the four of us on purchasing this. And, like, I'm not gonna lie, I usually don't buy a ton of stuff from Anaplex. I have three of their releases. Um, may, I might have a couple more. I'm thinking about grabbing the Madoka movies. I'm thinking about actually grabbing Zero. Uh, if they end up putting out, like, Skate the Infinity, I'm gonna fucking grab that. I'm probably gonna grab Wonder Egg from them, if it's them. Um, uh, Wonder Egg's Funimation. Okay, cool, I'm not gonna have to pay out my ass for that. Um, but the big thing is, please just credit your goddamn actors. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, I, I should not have to- Like, we are really lucky that Jet got to find out who the actors for Carabo and uh, Dr. Heartless were. Yeah, no. he had a Jet had an amazing ear to guess who the two actors for that were. Asked them on Twitter, and they both responded. Yeah, no, uh, real, real, real props for that one, bud. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Like Jet is the main reason that we can actually talk about some more of the performances in this, and not every podcast should have to come down to like one of our members figuring out who it were. Or some of the people on Twitter who somehow are able to get a lot of this information out of people. Le- um, legitimately, all companies circuit say for Sentai, ironically enough. Um, and kind of Netflix. Got, yeah, <laughs> Sentai and Netflix are like the big ones. Legitimately, yeah. please add more dub cards to your uh, ongoing simul dub projects. Please and thank you. Anaplex of America actually has done this in the past before with the other Fate show, which we may get to eventually. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, it, that's weird because they're usually not terrible about this. Like, I mean, like, perfect example, like, yeah, like, perfect example, Vivi, we've, they've actually been pretty consistent about crediting people for that one. Like, even folks I wasn't expecting them to actually bother with. This, this one's more of a, like a pet peeve 
to make our lives a little bit easier, but it's still kind of frustrating. It's, it's more of a pet, it's less even of a pet peeve, it's more you should be crediting your fucking actors. The talent pool should be known for this one, and it's kind of ridiculous that, like, some critical characters still weren't known. Even some other people that are sort of major-ish in the show, it's like, I have no idea who played that blonde guy um with the suit that got kidnapped by the fairies or something god what the this oh that's that was uh apparently ben lipley oh is that who that was okay yeah according to ann that was ben lipley cool which we're not talking about that character so okay i actually did didn't check thank you yeah there are a couple of ensemble people who have been credited through ann um or have just come out and, and said it on Twitter. Or if yeah, they've come out and say it, and that's why it's on ANN. Remember that. It, remember, kids, if you want a really good database for, hey, who the fuck's voice acting in this show? Please go to ANN. They have to actually be, like, it has to have a fucking source. Or if you really want pictures that badly, go to Anime Planet. They're usually pretty good too. Yep. Yeah. Noted. All right. I'm ready to move on. If you guys are ready to move yeah, on, yeah, let's do it. Uh. I'm ready to board the train, and I would like to know if it's going to fit or not. <laughs> Never going to escape the train train thing. Also, my computer is just suddenly like, you, just, you don't need to go on fucking A&N right now. So let's start about the bad end of the people on the train. The less savory people. We have... The main villain of this series, one Dr. Heartless, whose heart was stolen by a fairy and now he does bad things. His, okay, sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. Just His heart was stolen by a fairy, so now he is Dr. Heartless. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck kind of stupid thing is that? It's fate. What the fuck did you expect? I, um, even fate's a little more subtle than that. Fuck. Are you sure about fate being a little more subtle, Andrew? Are you sure? Have you seen Gilgamesh's outfit? Okay, you know what? You make a fair Remember, point. He's either dressed in gold, he's shirtless, or again, he looks like he picks up women at the abortion clinic. God, I forgot about that. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, it's been a hot minute since we've done a fate one. I, I'm ready for anything. Ugh. Okay. Dr. Heartless, uh, the man. <laughs> Dr. Heartless. He has a servant, because a lot of the last part of this series revolves around somebody stealing Iskandar's summoning item, and Waver gets very upset about this, because Waver is wanting to join the Fifth Holy Grail War, you know, the one with Shiro running the gang, mm -hmm. where Sex is either a CGI dragon, Shinji Mato gets turned into an Akira monster, or Heaven's Feel. Um, I can't make fun of Heaven's Feel. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, the stuff with soccer is still questionable. So fair enough, but still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he summons a servant who says they are Hephaestion, who is Iskand, who is apparently Iskandar's number one confidant. Turns out that's not true, and they are the quote-unquote faker class. <laughs> Dr. Heartless has made a new class of servant <laughs> that he calls Faker Class. Because of fucking. I'm and sorry. Truth, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck this shit. I'm gonna make my own, own my own servant class with blackjack and hookers. 
You know what? Forget the Blackjack. Uh, in truth, they are actually Iskandar's shadow. Uh, they were born without a name. In place, uh, they're called Iskandar's shadow. She was the true younger sister, twin sister of Hephaestion. Um, she basically acted like a body double and confidant, and she thinks that Waver Velvet is not worthy of being one of uh, one of Iskandar's servants, and they get into kind of a not ah he was my dad type of fight with each other. So, is about the best way to describe pretty it. Okay, hang on. Sorry, I just need a second. So, Hephaestion is Iskandar's confidant, yes? Yes. This, this is... is their twin sister who did a bunch of shit and never actually truly followed in Ryder's ideals and she died. So she's mad. So she's the the twin sister of Hephaestion who kind of didn't actually Hephaestion, who actually didn't follow Iskandar to the end of the world, and then died in a ditch, and now is wearing his clothes and set- and stole his fucking chariot. And stole chariot. Okay, yes. just trying to figure that out. I'm sorry. The, the the fact the way they say that she is a new class, the faker, the faker class, class, is so fucking funny. It's so funny. I, I can't. Think of- I love you, fate, and your stupid lore. And then there is Yvette L. Lerman. She is a student who looks fucking ridiculous. Uh, she is also a member on the train. Her family specializes in gems to create mystic eyes, which are the kind of big thing in the series. There are magic eyes, so my brand um, comes into vision. Uh, her entire quirk is for some reason she wants to be his mistress. Not his she wife. She wants to his mistress she wants to fuck waver velvet and waver thanks to you know being an upstanding citizen and also gay keeps... <laughs> that too um did i just break your train of concentration <laughs> shut up yes i mean I mean, I mean, for once, Andrew is not wrong. <laughs> like, like there are, there is like Yvette is just throwing her entire everything at him, and he's like, "Honey, please, you're a six. You're at a best. minor. You're a minor. You're a minor. Just you are too young for me. And best. also, God, I would never." Just, I'm so mad that he said it before me. Just, Damn it! But yeah, no, like, there's literally a scene where Yvette's in the magical, in the magical Macy's, and she's like, ooh, a thong, maybe he'll like me now, and like, she, she's like the worst fucking character. So- Like, I hate her character so much. She, she has no use for- Like, she's literally there. Like, her whole thing is that she was actually, like, the- uh, She was actually in cahoots with Heartless the whole time for money. And, like, the exam- it's like, well, we wanted these magic guys, whoopsie doodles. And then at the end of the series, they're like, how the fuck did you get out of jail? It's like, they let me out on probation. Her, it's like, her entire character is so jarring for the tone of the show already. Because she is basically, what if a pastel goth had a personality that was like, ooh, ooh, let me see your bulgy wulgy. Ooh, ooh, velvet coon, let me have some of your gummy lummies. Oh, God. You're not even wrong. Like, I was gonna say, she looks like Hatsune Miku fucked a pastel goth, but... (laughs) Yeah. 
And she's also got like a diamond for an eye. Yeah. That sets shit on fire. That can't be sanitary. Anyway. Playing Dr. Heartless. <laughs> this show is entertaining, but it's also... This, this whole section's making me real... I fucking... I, I fucking love you, Fate. I fucking love the Fate franchise. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, playing Dr. Heartless is Kevin M. Connolly. Playing Faker slash Hephaestion is Morgan Barry. And playing Yvette is Sarah Ann Williams. Kevin M. Connolly, you'll notice characters such as Kotaro and Vdex... Uh, everyone's favorite, uh, everyone's favorite avatar for the tit bomb in your tit scientist, Heathcliff in Sword Art Online, and the narrator in Welcome to Demon School, Ira McCoon. Yeah. Which is actually the only reason I recognized it was him. Which, you know what? Thank you for that. But honestly, as soon as I heard him talk, I was like, okay, yeah, I fucking hear it now. That's just fucking Heathcliff. Uh, Morgan Burial knows characters such as NK Cell in Cells at Work, Rindo Kobayashi in the Food Wars franchise, and Moraha and Yashihime, half-demon princess, aka best girl. Sarah and Williams you'll know as characters such as Midari Ishikima in the first dub of Kakegurui. We're not gonna touch that. Uh, Natsuki Nakagawa in Liz and the Bluebird, and Saya Sasayama in the Asterisk War. Um, Andrew, you go first this time. So, um... I'm sorry, I have a needy cat who really wants my attention right now. As somebody who now has a, his own needy cat of his own, I understand completely. Uh, I'll start with uh, Dr. Heartless, who just kind of MacGuffins his way into the show, because the whole thing is that he's really the big bad. They allude to him, but it turns out that the one who actually killed uh, Trisha was him posing as Callus Yigida Millennia. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And was actually Dr. Heartless, his mortal enemy. And <laughs> I'm sorry, the more I'm processing the show, the more I'm realizing it's kind of... Uh, are you okay, Anna, Andrew? Are you okay? I'm good. I'm good. But no, I'll say, uh, Kevin M. Connolly, uh, he does a good job sounding like this very cocky, sure of himself son of a bitch that knows it all. And it's just like, yo, I want to make my own grail because of course you do. This is fate. Everybody wants to have a dip in that cup of death. But no, I think he does a good job. He's this very cool, calculating asshole. And you can definitely tell he's... He's got some things going on in his head that he's definitely going to cause some trouble. Uh, I'll move on next to uh, Yvette, because uh, what if Sarah Ann Williams was just as ooh-woo, cutesy-wootsy, raw means I love you in dinosaur, but also like a fucking pastel goth that wants to suck off Waver Velvet, but is totally like say what you will. She she has no she knows she's never going to be number one. She's more than willing to be a side hoe, and she's ready to be the side hoe. She has her exit from the fourth floor of the building plan all ready to go. Like she's been trading her whole life for that. But no, Sarah's just got this very chaotic like uwu gremlin vibe to her going and it's like she's played a lot of different gremlins but this one is especially um chaotic horny 
is the best way I can describe Yvette. And also, she just has a jewel in her eye. And... Sanitary purposes unknown. Alright, I'm gonna make this joke. She she would totally be the freak that would let somebody go into that hole. Oh, she's like 16, dude. I mean, are, is she 16? I thought they were in college. Oh yeah, they're in college. Oh yeah, that's right, they're in magic college. They're in magic college, even though some of them definitely look like babies, but, you know, anime. But no, like, she is... What I'm saying is she's a freak and she would let somebody do stuff with the eye hole. I really don't know where else to go with this, so I'm just going to talk about Faker. Morganberry. Delightful. Chaos. Badass. Like, that level of strength, warrior energy, while also being a little bit fierce, sexy, and commanding, too. Uh, very interesting, strange character, but I like, I like her fights when she is facing off against Waver, and especially when she's facing off with Grey. She's got a good level of, like, anger, power, regret, but also a good level of, like, charm and cockiness to her, too. Like, she, I, you can definitely tell that she has elements of Iskandar's pride and cockiness, but you can definitely tell that she is not the real deal. But without a doubt, yeah, Morgan does a great job bringing the faker to life. Oh god, now I'm, now I'm just imagining the scene from Sonic Adventure 2. You're the fake faker! It's like, oh my goodness. I can see it. Uh, but no, I, I really like Morgan's uh, particular delivery with Faker, because they just... It's just a level of strength and complexity that I was pleasantly surprised by. And no, she was definitely a fun little foil for the show. And I think Morgan's delivery is really strong. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Jet? Uh, sure. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, Sarah Ann Williams as Yvette the Horny Gremlin. Uh, I mean, at this point, uh, I mean, this is kind of, I mean, this is kind of in Sarah Ann Williams' specific wheelhouse. I mean, this is kind of character she normally plays, perhaps uh, hornier, but otherwise it is very much the kind of gremlin she would normally play and as she, as, as she plays it well, uh, she uh, makes the event sound uh, very energetic and whatnot. And uh, it's weird she's constantly trying to get in Waver's fans, but I mean, uh, that's but I mean that band isn't straight, so uh, that's never working out. So, I mean, uh, yeah, the really, I mean, it's a fine performance, but there really isn't much there beyond that one single joke. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Kevin M. Cuddly as uh, Dr. Heartless um, does a pretty good job. Um, I appreciate that there's just this very kind of casual tone to his voice uh, where he sounds very nonchalant for what's probably our main bad guy. Uh, but it does also kind of help to give the impression that he's maybe taking a few steps ahead of what else, which is uh, kind of a neat little uh, addition there. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it kind of comes out of basically nowhere in the final inning, so I don't know if I'd really be able to get like a full impression of him unless we somehow got another season, but otherwise I thought Kevin did fine. And then uh, Morgan Berry as Hephaestion. As um, so again, I thought his 
used to work in various recipe bars, so this is like maybe slightly deeper than uh, what I've heard from her before, but I thought she did a really good job with it. And there's definitely a very natural sense of power and confidence to her voice, and this kind of maybe it gives the impression that uh, that figure here is definitely as tough as she claims to be, and uh, that and it sounds really cool. Uh, so, uh, since, you know, uh, she has a lot of confidence in one of its canard subjects, it's not too hard to imagine why she's uh, frustrated with Waver being so wishy-washy about everything, and I thought Morgan got that frustration across really well. And also, kind of done with some of her interactions with Grey, where uh, she at least has some respect for Grey as, like, a warrior and whatnot. And it's not their whole, like, interaction with the cave, in the cave where she's, like, trying to warn Grey that and Weaver's desire to get into the Grail War might not work out, and the way he thinks it will, I thought that whole change was pretty good. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good performance, all three of these, and uh, props on. Awesome, thanks, Jet. Patrick? I'm gonna start with Sarah Ann Williams, because, you know, I know she does a lot of these sort of gremlin-esque characters, um, but this is one of the first times I've actually heard her not as, like, a Sundere, and it's, it's interesting... Because I think the last episode I recorded before this one was Ride Your Wave, where I got to talk about Sarah Ann Williams as a Sundere. Like, even though this is still a gremlin-ish character, I, this is enough of a change of pace that it feels really refreshing for me. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot... There's not much more to her character other than sort of the gremlin-esque aspect of her. So... It felt a little one-note, but that was sort of the character holding her back and not her holding the character back, if you know what I mean. Um, do, 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 uh, Morgan Berry as Faker. She had a really haughty energy to her that I really enjoyed, and um, it also felt like that that confidence and bravado was just another sort of another element of herself that she was faking for everyone else. Um, given the flashback scene where she reaches the end of the sea and she's just like, yeah, this is not what you told me it would be, Iskandar, kind of thing. Like, I thought that was really great. Um, her interactions with, with Grey were also really fun. Yeah, I particularly liked the last couple episodes of the show where... It's the final fight between her and, um, her, Grey, and Waver. I'm sorry, Lord Elmoy. But. It's Waver. It's pretty much Waver. I'll talk about, I'll talk about that when we get to Melvin. But yeah, it's really fun, and you really get the sense that sort of that bravado isn't her true personality. Um, and unfortunately, because... Dr. Heartless only gets, like, one episode, maybe two. Um, there's not really a lot to go off of, but I... Look, Kevin M. Connolly is basically playing another version of Heathcliff in this show, and it's something I really like. Uh, he did a really good job sort of playing the mastermind, even though, like, every aspect of his... His little plan just seems like absolute bullshit, but somehow it's working. It's great. I love it. I love this trio. So, solid job all around. 
Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. Um, I'll start off with Yvette. Uh, like I said, Yvette's like my least favorite character in this show because she's just really uncomfortable as a character. Like, she basically ex exists to just be like a sex joke at Waver. And then they kind of give her plot relevance by having her suddenly be against him. Like, I guess, sure. But I think Sarah does a good job with the material given to her. She's funny when she needs to be funny. Uh, she's got a lot of energy to the performance when she needs to. Uh, so overall, I do think it's a solid member of the ensemble. Uh, Michael Connolly as Dr. Heartless kind of gets to chew his scene for like the one episode where he comes in. And I actually think he's he's a really good pick for this character going forward if they were to somehow make more of this show, which I don't think they will. Um, I think he does a good job counterbalancing uh, against Lord El Malloy's character, who is a little bit, while he is a little bit more like toned down and stuff, when he has to like kind of lash out, he does lash out. I think he definitely is the, the, it's... He tries to be the cooler, the cooler Lord Elmoloy, kind of in the voice. You know, like that picture of the Darien, the cooler Darien? Yeah. Like that type of shit. Like, that's what I, that, that performance does for me, but he does a really good job. To me, the real standout of this section is Morgan Berry, who makes Hephaestion sound very sexy. Um, mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, you like the type that can kick your the ass. Gay half of, the gay half of my brain was happy. You like the kind of woman a that will just... A lesbian half of my brain was happy, okay? You like the kind of woman that will just actually fucking kill you, huh? Yes! We've established this <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> Hephaestion is hot. But I think the thing for me is that, like, very rarely does Morgan Berry get to play very sexy women. Very sexy adult women. Like, this reminds me a lot of her performance as N.K. Cell in Cells at Work. Um, which, for some reason, Sells at Work Season 2 is one of the few shows I finished this year. Nice. That is not W-eligible, that is W-eligible, but I didn't finish the dub. I watched it completely subtitled. Heretic. Um, heretic. You said, like, you said her, you said I don't care. Uh, but Morgan does have this very big sense of pride and anger in her Hespestion performance, because Hespestion is essentially this antagonistic foe to waver. But she also gives up listening to her, her master because of her pride. And you get to see her kind of have this villainous breakdown as she goes against Waver and Grey. And that's something I really like. I think her performance in episode 12 is fantastic where she's melting down against uh, Carbo, Grey, and Waver uh, as she's getting her ass kicked. And then she eventually just says, fuck it, basically, and goes all out. Uh, this is one of my favorite Morgan Perry performances, especially as an adult character. And I really want to see Morgan get to do more performances like this. Uh, a lot of times, I think a lot of us know Morgan Berry for her little boys. And less of her adult women. So I really do appreciate Christian's casting here. And I think he did a great job with her. Are we ready to move on to the quote-unquote good side of the train? Oh, man. Yes. Put, it, put that in air quotes a couple, oh, for a couple of them. I did. There's like seven air quotes. We have, I'm going to say this entire name and I'm going to hate myself for it. Uh, Olga Marie um, Arisnilia Amphisphere. Oh my god. I, I... Uh We have 
Hishiri Adashino. And we have Carbo Frampton. Olga Marie is the heir to the Andrusier, uh family. She was abandoned by her dad uh, when he went crazy over the hail, the air, the Holy Grail warned its knowledge and was eventually killed by, you know, Dr. Heartless. Uh, but a lot of you who are Fate fans would know Olga Marie not from this, but from the Fate Grand Order side of the Fate franchise as she is the head of the, um... The fuck is it called? Uh... Uh, Chaldea? Chaldea. She's from Chaldea. She has the Chaldea thing. Uh, also, being Olga Marie is suffering. Okay, legit. There <laughs> being are, Olga Marie sucks. There are some characters in the Fate franchise and mythos that get done dirty. We have joked that Lancers all get done dirty. I don't think there is a single character that has a worst outcome Fate... Wow, I used the title, actually. Ah! Then Olga Marie Anamusphere. I was gonna say, uh, does, does Sakura Mato get to count in this? I, I, I'm gonna- Sakura Mato's up there! Sakura Mato's up there, but, okay. Fate Chapter 1 spoilers. Olga Marie is in a constant state of dying for eternity. Pretty much. Like, she gets fucked. Yeah, she shit sucks. And here she is as a baby who is watching her uh, friend her, die and has to her babysitter die and has to deal with the trauma that her friend and babysitter, one of the few people that cares about her, uh, is the antithesis dead, of the murder mystery. Dead and gets her head, and at one point she literally pulls her head out of a pocket dimension. Yep, you know, for kids. Um, there is of course Hisiri. Uh, Arashino, she is an officer from the Politaries Department. Uh, she's basically Waver's other nemesis. Uh, she's also Dr. Heartless's sister. Not by blood, but by succession, because fuck you. That, that's how um, things work in this universe. Yeah. And Karma Frampton is a guy, is an executioner from the Holy Church, who has the uh, magic eyes of transcendence. I think that's what it was. He essentially has eyes that let him see into the past and see people's past. And eventually they get ripped out and then they get put back in, but he dies. Um, he's also cool as shit, though. Oh, no. Uh, Carver is fucking cool. And for characters from the Church the Church of Fate series, he's better than what we've gotten. In the Kotamine. past. In the past. <laughs> also, uh, I'm going to make a joke that I think only Jet here will appreciate. I... Jet, I'll say this. I did not expect that the entirety of the Rail Zeppelin arc was basically going to be the murder mystery equivalent of the York New City arc from Hunter Hunter, where they're trying to auction off special eyes. My brand. God, it is my brand, yeah. Anyway, playing Olga Marie Amphisphere, or at least can I say reprising her role as Olga Marie Amphisphere, is Kira Buckland. Playing Adashino is Julie McElveney. And playing Carbo is John Eric Bentley. Kira Buckland, you'll know, is characters such as Izumi Kamaki in Blue Exorcist, Lyria in Grand Blue Fantasy the Animation, and Azase Amelie in Welcome to Demon School, Irimakun, Best Girl. Um, You're not wrong. Adashino, uh, I'm sorry, Julia McAvinney, you'll know, is characters such as Monica Campbell in Hero Mask, Natalia Garnet in Levius, and Cecilia Scythia in Monster Girl Detective. 
Doctor. Monster Girl Doctor, not Detective. Uh, I would fucking watch the shit out of a Monster Girl Detective show. Dude, a fucking Lamia who's got, like, a fucking, like, Sherlock Holmes hat and, and like, a Watson cane. I'd fucking watch that. Down, boy. Uh, John Eric Bentley, you know, those characters such as Various Trust and Promare, Tiger's Eye and Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, Eternal, and Nathan Seymour, a.k.a. Fire Emblem in Tiger and Bunny. Let's start this off with Jet. Uh, Kira Buckland as uh, Olga Marie. Uh, admittedly, I have not seen much of, Gra- of Fake Red Orders. Uh, this is my first time ever really hearing her as this character. Uh, but that Kira did a fine job here. Uh, did a good job of making Olga, Olga Marie to very bratty and full of herself constantly, especially like pretty much all of her interactions with Waver, where she's just kind of be damned the entire time. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Dutton did a really good job of sounding, you know, very uh, distraught and broken after Olga loses Trisha, and you can kind of tell from Kira's tone how much uh, Trisha meant to her, and uh, that came off really well in Kira's performance, and she does kind of, though, she does kind of a lot a little bit after that, but she never stops getting off as, like, a little bit of a suitor towards Weaver and Gray, which, uh, could, uh, which could be amusing, but was also maybe annoying in a couple of places. Uh, but otherwise, I thought Karen's performance was uh, pretty good. Ju- uh, Julia, I mean, Julie as Adachino, uh This is only like maybe my uh, second or third time really hearing her or something, but I really liked her a lot here. Uh, I thought she had like a very professional tone to her voice. It makes her come off as the kind of person who would be uh, very good at playing politics and good at tricking people into doing what she wants, which is uh, basically just uh, all of her interaction with Waver and her pretty much getting, sorry, her getting Waver to do what she wants, basically. And uh, with that in mind, she bounces off of Waver pretty well. And while he definitely is, like, all business and dealing with him, you can also tell that she just kind of enjoys messing with him, and I thought that Julie did a really good job of getting that across. And uh, lastly, John Eric Bentley as Carbo, I thought he did a really good job. Uh, he had a, like, he had a kind of, uh, very, he had, like, a kind of solid weariness to his tone, and I definitely gave the impression that this is a man who's just kind of had been around for a long time, seen a lot of stuff in his life, and just like kind of done with it. And I thought that uh, John did a really good job giving it across. Um, I also did really dig the whole thing with how his mystic eyes work, and, and that whole thing was really cool. Uh, kind of a shame we didn't really get to use them that often, but uh, the I mean the whole high auction thing of the plot, I guess. Like I said, it legit reminds me of uh, York New City, where they're auctioning off the uh, the Kurta eyes. Yeah, is it, is it, uh, yeah. Uh, if, I, if anyone complain, it's not with him necessarily, but more the show because, like, because I feel because even though I suppose it, even though I suppose it was like telegraphed decently enough that something was going to happen to him. I feel like I've blinked and missed it that he, like, died at some point. I, I wasn't even sure if he died. I think he did, he got, like, a fatal wound, but it's like, I'm gonna be real. It's when Hephaestion kicks him. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah because, like, they were talking, because it's not like they were talking about him in the past, and I'm like, wait, did I miss something? I'm yeah, gonna be same. real. There's also characters in Fate that have survived much worse wounds. Like... Like, I thought Hephaestion was fucked, and it's like, oh, hey, they're walking in a cave next episode. So yeah. until there's a body, I don't buy it. I, uh, but, yeah, other than that, I thought uh, John did a really good job here. So, 
staff. These were four super fun. Awesome. Thanks, Jet. Uh, let's go to Roots. I, I guess I'll go with Olga Marie. Because um, like Jet, I'm not familiar with her performance in Fate Grand Order. Uh, typically, with a Fate show, I wait until we're ready to start planning an episode before I actually jump into the dub. Uh, so it'll be interesting going into that because this, to my knowledge, was dubbed after. Or probably around uh, yes, the same this time. Was, this was dubbed if... after the Fate Grand Order OVA was done and cast. Okay, because I could have sworn this came out like... Oh, you know what? Uh, too much to think about right now. Anyway. I, th I think this dub came out after both... Fate Grand Order's uh, OVA, and then was it after Camelot? No, not Camelot. Uh, Babylonia? If anything, they probably recorded this in Babylonia at the same time. That's also what I'm might, thinking. That, but, yeah. That actually is probably why Christian's directing this instead of Tony. That actually would make a lot of sense. Um, it, it's... I feel like it's going to be interesting going back to Grand Order and revisiting Olga Marie. I liked her sort of childishness at the beginning of the Rail Zeppelin arc that sort of gradually morphs and evolves into this really capable character who um, who's a lot smarter at what she, what she needs to be able to do in order to solve the mystery of the the death of her caretaker and I thought I thought it was really great and um, yeah I I had a train of thought there but I kind of lost it anyway would you say that you lost your head not unlike her friend trisha go to the corner <laughs> well i'll have you know go to the pocket dimension oh god i hate the pocket dimension there's no gravity and it smells in there julia mcelvaney you know it's weird i'm gonna say a, i i like the performance but it was just for some reason, the character's design just felt out of place in the rest of the show. Okay, fit. My one argument is Yvette's right there. It's not necessarily the fact that, like, Adashino is traditionally dressing in Japanese garb in, like, every scene she's in. That's, that's something I expect, but it's just, like, her actual character design doesn't look like it fits in with the rest of the show and it's it's really weird anyway i really like the fact that she's able to adequately play lord elmaloy's foil in like two or three of the cases over the course of the show and it's just she has her own agenda with all of this stuff and the investigation she does um and it's really fun watching her butt heads so I, I thought she did a really great performance, and this is probably my first exposure to her. Uh, I could be wrong, but it's a good first impression. Uh, and John Eric Bentley as Carabo, um, I really liked him in this. It's um, He has a weird kind of fatherly energy to him, which considering the backstory of his character, just it's incredibly weird when you start to learn about that, but I, I really like the energy his performance gave off, particularly at the point where you learn that he's sort of trying to redeem himself for the murders he kind of committed, but kind of didn't. He got 
puppeteered? Sort of? Maybe? Like, like it was fun. Just don't think about it too much. Um, but all in all, like, for the rest of the sort of Rail Zeppelin characters, I, I thought this was really fun, really great. Thumbs up. Uh, Andrew. Uh, okay, so I'll start with, I'll, I'll bounce off Rudy, I'll start with, uh, I'll go with Ar- Arashino first. Um, I've heard Julia in one other thing, and that's as the voice of Oleana in Pokemon Twilight Wings. That's what it was. Because yes. the fun thing about the the Sword and Shield games not having an official English dub cast or any voice acting at all is that there are three separate English dub casts for all of these characters, and they're all different. But uh, Julia was the one for the web series animated by Studio Col- Colorado, uh, and she was pretty fun as Oleana in that. Uh, that's that's why I know her, but uh, Julia as Adashino has this very uh, snake-like quality where you, you can tell that she is like the authority and the rival sector of the uh, clock tower, but you can tell that she's got ulterior motives of the wazoo to the fact that her spells are basically just a giant fucking snake. She is just a snake- She's a sexy snake, but by God, she is going to bleed you dry. That's that's how she is. Also, she can just store knife slashes for later. It's like going to the DMV. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, I got to record this uh, knife slash. Can we use it in 20 minutes? Okay, sure. I don't get how that works, but yeah, no. Uh, Julia's got a very good... Uh, she, you can tell she's a, she's definitely a snake for sure. That's the big thing is that she has giant snake and she has ulterior motives. But I think Julia does a great job uh, conveying that. Let's see who else. Who else we got? Um, we also have Olga, Olga Marie. Uh, so yeah, this is definitely a Kira Buckland performance. I am very familiar with in that she is a bit of a cocky Sundere who's a lot more sensitive and vulnerable than she lets on but then finds her own strength and resolve and will to fight back. Which is all cool, which is all dandy. Was I think I'm the only one here who's actually watched the OVA of... Oh, no, I've seen it. Oh, you have seen it too, okay. Because cause yeah, I, I've seen cause it. I heard a little bit of that and heard a little bit of this performance. It's definitely one that Kira is very good and accustomed to, this particular role, but God, Olga, poor fucking Olga, man. I need to look up exactly what her fucking deal is, or, like, her, how her death worked, but no, I think Kira does a good job doing that, and John Eric Bentley as Karabu. Uh, Karabu is really, really cool-looking character, he's really interesting, and he's got a level of strength, sincerity, and, um, like, he's actually genuinely kind and nice to Grey and, like, a lot of the other people on, on the train around him. He's definitely somebody who you don't want to fuck with in a fight, but he's got a cool little thing. But he's also got transient eyes, which can see... I'm sorry, what the fuck do his eyes do again? Oh, his eyes let him see people's past, but they also let him store slashes. Like, he can literally attack you because I've made a slash in the past, now I'm going to slash you now. Ding dong. He basically has layaway stabbing. 
he like walks up to the Kmart. Hey, uh, I want to put the stabbing down for Christmas. I'll pay you back in four easy payments. Oh, he has the stabbing memory, not her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, how did she do it? Who? Didn't she do a stab? And it's like, I'm storing this for later. It's like, did she take his ability? No, 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 it's because he was looking at it while she was doing it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. Um, But no, I think John's got a really cool voice. He's definitely got a le level of strength and like, come. Like, he's actually like, a cool dude. I, I was very sad that he got, like, a good beating. But it's like, man, you got it rough, dude. I hope you're okay. Uh, but no. Jo and then he got kicked by Hephaestia. And he got kicked by Hephaestia. But no, I think John's got a great voice. And Karavu's a pretty interesting and cool-looking character design. I really enjoyed this one in particular. Uh, I'll start with Karavu. For me, uh, again, I'm not super. I'm actually not super familiar with John Eric Bentley's uh, works. Forgive me, I've not watched Tiger and Buddy in English. Um, I know I should. Um, <laughs> I've seen like three fourths of it in Japanese, so. Um, but no, I think that he does a really good job with Carbo, making him sound world weary and older without making him sound elderly, because Carbo's probably in his like fifties, not like his eighties. And I think the things that, for me, the scene that really gets me with him is where he talks about how he can't live in the present because of his eyes. And I think that his bond with Grey, because he's one of the people who really knows what who Grey really is or what Grey's deal is, um, he never takes advantage of her and always puts into her that, yes, that she is needed and wanted. I love how he talks to her, uh, the way, like, the warmth in, uh, his performance as Carbo, where he talks about how uh, Waver would always find her like needed and around. She wasn't useless to him. And I think he tackles the fact that everybody on the train views him with extreme prejudice, with a lot of grace and dignity with the character. Like, he's their enemy. And there's this one part where he's like, where he offers to do the autopsy on Trisha. And he's talking to, to Waver and he goes, and he just had of this has this very matter of fact way, well, if it was up to me, I'd see all your souls burn in hell. But in this moment, he's not going to do something awful because he's not a bad person. He's just doing his job. And let's be real, he's the, he's the nicest person from the church we've met in the Fate franchise. <laughs> after, after fucking Kotamine. Yeah, this guy you could have a nice coffee with. Anishino is really weird for me because she is so very intense and focused. And the thing is that she never lets that get into the way of her very snake-like persona. And for me, this is also one of the few times I've actually heard Julie's perform Julie's acting. I've only seen her in as um in Twilight Wings, which granted that performance is maybe seven or eight minutes at tops. Because those are very short episodes. Here, she has to carry a lot of weight as the calmer, more level-headed foil to to Waver. And she never lets that, that facade ever drop, truly. There's very few things that actually shock her or cause her to lash out. And I think that Julie manages the performance without making it come off as flat and monotone, which is a very commendable thing to do. Uh, a lot of people will could make this character come off as 
as that or go the other way where she very much has the Ara Ara older sister type voice. But I think she fights, she strikes the, the line very well and it becomes a very enjoyable performance. Uh, Kira Buckland as Olga is a lot. She probably has to do some of the most emotional work on the show. Mostly because she has to play this character who is very traumatized and has to come into herself and her self-loathing. Uh, I think to me, there's the real standout moment is after I think Waver wakes up from getting nearly killed by his Festion, where she yells at him for hating people like him, hating people who who don't want credit when they do great things or people who only do great things. But she eventually admits that she hates herself more than uh, more than anything else because Olga Marie has to come through this moment of realizing her father abandoned her for this thing and her father's been murdered. And I think that she also nails the kind of tsundere moments that Olga has because there is a part at the very end between uh, Rhinus and her where Rhinus is like, are you here to give her flowers? She's like, I'm not here to visit them or anything. And you kind of get to hear Olga be a kid for that just moment. Because that's the thing in this universe is that the children of mages never truly get to be children in the Fate franchise. Boy, they don't are they. Tr- nope. <laughs> They're either treated as objects for their, their lineage or they are treated as disposable. Um, so Kira does an amazing job getting to bring, I think, Olga to the forefront more than in any other Fate franchise, really. She is in Grand Order's dub. She only appears in two episodes. So a lot of Olga's stuff is in the mobile game. So getting into this kind of being a lot of people's first real exposure to Olga Marie's character in English, I think Kira does an amazing job. All right, are we ready to move on to our next segment? Yeah, let's do it. Next up, we have two returning characters from the Fate franchise. Uh, They are from the, uh, respectively from uh our good friends over at fate apocrypha and i need to look up where she comes from first and she's in the she's, the, she's, she's in the, the last episode of i'm looking at blade works and i know she basically a lot of believe stuff apparently um i'm trying to find her her first appearance um it, it probably would be unlimited blade works it's no, she has her. She's in her own thing. That's as, um, I, as, I mean, as, I mean, chronologically, uh, Fate Stay Night is the first thing. So chronologically, it would have yeah, to be able to be that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find like where the big thing that she's from. I think it's Hollow Axia. I guess it's really weird, but they uh, they are Luvia uh, Luvikitia Eldafet. We'll call her Luvia. And our good friend, Kairi Shishigo, a.k.a. the Yondu of Fate Apocrypha. Welcome back, motherfucker. Welcome back, Dog the Bounty Hunter. Anyway, uh, him. Uh, Kairi Shishigo comes from the alternate universe of Fate Apocrypha, as well as Callus, which we'll go over when we get to Callus. In this world, uh, that grail, uh, the Team Deathmatch Grail War never happened. That's the only way I'm describing what the fuck Apocrypha is. We have an entire episode on Apocrypha as well. Team Deathmatch. Uh, team team Deathmatch. Death team Deathmatch. Team Deathmatch. Death team Deathmatch. I'm not getting it. Oh yeah, Team Deathmatch. 
uh, playing Luvia, returning to the role of Luvia is Lauren Landa, and returning to the role of Kyrie is Patrick Sykes. Lauren Landa, you'll know his characters such as Annie Leonhart in Attack on Titan, Kyoko Koda in March Comes in Like a Lion, and Tsukasa Tsukiyomi in Tony Kawa Over the Moon for You, or if you're a smart person who likes Viz, Fly Me to the Moon. Fly me to the moon so I can kick its fucking ass. Let me show you. I wonder you if that's why they called it Tony Kawa. <laughs> I wonder if that's the fucking reason. That is, like, that is almost certainly the reason why. Uh, Patrick Seitz, you'll know his characters such as Frankenstein in Bloodland, Bloodlad, uh, Don Underwear in Night is Short Walk On Girl, and to her very specific subset of you, Koshiroi, uh, Koshiro Psyche in Koikaze. I don't think I've actually heard of Koikaze before. (laughs) Andrew, you can Google the plot summary of that in your own time. Uh, I'll start the segment off. Uh, I fucking love Lauren Landis, Luvia. Uh, I've liked her since that part in Fate Movie W where she wrestles Rin, her cousin. Um, But the thing I like about it is, so Lauren Landis is the only character with an accent. Luvia is Finnish. And she likes to wrestle. Uh, her, her, her magecraft is gems. Literally, one of her areas, aliases is Forklift Lady. Like, I fucking love this character so much. She is so entertaining. And Lauren Landa chews the scenery in every scene she is in as Luvia. Like, the episode where they get trapped in Magic Macy's. Because she has a security system to keep all the treasures in. And it gets her and Rhinus stuck. Her banter with Rhinus's actor. Lauren is so entertaining as this character. And I love her accent. It is so much fun. I just love her deliveries of like the lines like, well, any proper lady should know wrestling. <laughs> because she's into like a fucking WWE. She would show up at like a WWE arena with a sign that says localized Tsukihime. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like, I fucking love Luvia so goddamn much. And Laura is such a natural fit into this that you would have never guessed she she wasn't acting this character for a couple of years. And the same goes as Patrick Seitz as Kyrie. Kyrie is by far one of the best parts of Apocrypha. And Patrick Seitz was one of the best performances in Apocrypha as this very... And he's a very different character in this. He is obviously... He's not in the Holy Grail War. He doesn't have his daughter Mordred with him. So instead he gets he gets Luthia. Um, I love how he's kind of their weird uncle teacher. I love the part where, like, they're all sitting where they've just launched Collis and fucking Rhinus at mock speed to the train and all the kids are on the ground and he's like, ha damn son, we just lost those bitches at mock speed. Like, I love Patricides as everyone's uncle necromancer. Like, again, like like Lauren Landa, it feels like he has never missed a step playing Kairi Shishigo. Um, he's still gruff and kind of rumble tumble around the edges. But I like that this Kyrie is a lot more sarcastic and kind of easygoing. And to, to, to one of the other best scenes is like, I think in like episode four, uh, where they're shooting all the black dogs. 
And he's like, you know, this overtime is going to cost compensation. I don't do this for free. And just Waver's actor very much going, no, it's in the policies department. Like, the banter in the show is so very good. And Kyrie and, and Patrick does such a great job as Kyrie. Uh, next up, let's hear from Andrew. All right, I'm going to start off my thoughts uh, with uh, Lauren Landa as Luvia. And she is a ton of fun. She has this nice regal aura to her this uh very high class society lady where she knows better than everybody but she can she can talk the talk and she can walk the walk she's really cool she's really funny uh i i love uh lauren bouncing off of the other characters including uh rhinus and gray when they're in that uh especially like when they're in that weird mall and that was a that was a trip and a half and i just love the kick-ass way she re- she talks in her tone of voice. And she's just a ton of fun. And now Patrick Seitz as Kyrie. It's just really nice hearing Patrick Seitz again as Kyrie. Because for all we could say about Apocrypha is that it was just... It was just a really odd series, but it was a ton of fun with some really good character dynamics in and of itself. Kyrie being one of the standouts of the non-servant characters for sure. Um, he's a really fun character, and Patrick Seitz gives him this grandiose charisma to him that is just very fun, very cool, but he's just got this great, badass, like, cool uncle, like, gruff dad voice to him, too, that just makes him so delightful every time he's interacting with other characters, uh, especially when he's, uh, talking to Grey, who's trying to cheer her up about her feeling self-conscious about not living up to El Malloy's expectations or not living up to his standards or not being of much use to him. Like, Patrick Seitz is definitely a pro at what he does, and he brings so much cool guy, badass energy to Kyrie as a character, and I loved what he did with him back in Apocrypha, and it's just very... Very nice to hear him once again just stepping into his element and playing this cool dude. He, he doesn't have his uh, best daughter Mordred anymore, but he, he makes up for it by hanging out with the, 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 be- the gang of idiots in uh, El Malloy's magic class, which is a ton of fun and it was nice hearing Patrick's sights again. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Let's go to Jet. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, start with Patrick Sites' Kyrie. Uh, it was nice hearing him again, uh, definitely just appreciate the kind of very uh, casual tone he has with performance. He just makes Kyrie seem like the chillest guy for for what's effectively a mercenary who uh, dabbles in, like, necromancy and stuff. So, um, so, um, yeah, I definitely definitely appreciate a lot of Patrick's um, chill delivery. I thought he was pretty fun and... uh, the episode where they were all like trapped in a mansion, and I definitely liked how well he bounced off of uh, Lauren Lynn and uh, Luvia when they were forced to team up for a couple of episodes. That was pretty fun. And then Lauren Lynn and Luvia is just uh, extremely delightful. I uh, definitely appreciate the. I definitely appreciate how good the accent is. So, uh, so I mean, I've never really heard Lauren Lynn do an accent of anything else, but I, but I really appreciate that it helps in making Libya sound like extremely haughty, but not 
so haughty that she sounds like really over the top or distracting, so it works that really well. And uh, she does a really good job of this bouncing off of all the characters. I like a lot of the energy she had with a lot of uh, Bridus and Gray's actors or any direct. I mean, during that episode where they were all trapped in the ball, I thought she did a really good job bouncing off of them. And like everyone else was saying, I really do appreciate the joke that she's just into pro wrestling and believes it all. Proper women to be wrestling fans. That's it's beautiful. Also, I like the fact that like the one sexy shot in the series of Luvia is when she's stepping out of a bathtub, and it's just showing you her fucking super incredibly sexy ripped back muscles. Like holy shit, girl! God damn. Don't worry, she's 18. Yeah, 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 they're all in college, it's fine. <laughs> and so, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, uh, if you like the performance, uh, nobody for good. Awesome. Uh, Patrick? Yeah, um, honestly, like, Patrick Sice's Kyrie is just a fucking mercenary, and I love every minute of it. He's just a hard-drinking shoot him up kind of cowboy character and it's just it's one of the things I absolutely fucking loved about this show I know it's been talked about a lot but his scenes with Grey are really fun where he's just telling her yeah you know you're a good kid but you gotta take care of this guy cause he's a fucking train wreck uh, and honestly Lauren Landa as Luvia is just you know, on, on equal terms, it's it's just a lot of fun. I was kind of bummed that she didn't really have that big of a role in uh, in Fate Stay Night that we could actually talk about her. But it's just like, yeah, she's a proper lady. She has kind of a vaguely British accent. Oh, yeah, and she'll, she'll fucking take you to Suplex City. No problem. Hell yeah, she will. And yeah, the the scene where she's basically shirtless and she's just ripped. Mm-hmm. You could shred cheese on those back muscles. Hell yeah, you can. And I gotta say, Lauren Landa also does a really good job as sort of the the comedic core of the show. Because a, a lot of the main cast is just like this dead serious, dead panish. And a lot of the scenes that she comes into, she is kind of the the comic relief but at the same time it's not like a degrading comic relief it is like she's a great character in her own right she has a lot of agency like holy shit the magical macy's episode um but she is just naturally funny and it helps break up some of the tension and it, and the best part is it's never obnoxious i i really like this duo i really like that the, the fact that they got to show up again so Solid thumbs up all around. Alright, I'm very sorry for the next segment that I have to do a fucking rant at the beginning of the next segment. (laughs) You know it's coming because I've been holding this in for like fucking years. Next up, we have three of the students in Waver's class. Uh, Besides uh, Yvette and Luvia. They are... (sighs) I have to say this name again. Callis Forgive Yigata Millennia. Svin Goshlet and Flat Escardos. Callus, we'll do you, we'll talk about you last. Uh, Svin Goshlet is a, he's actually 15. 
I looked it up. On the Fate Wiki, is apparently 15. Um, he is a a magician, a mage student who uh, specializes in beast magic, has a good sense of smell, and always perks up when uh, our good friend Gray is around. Flat Escardos, he is uh, he's a member, uh, he's a genius of magecraft. Did I talk about, yeah, this is Flat. Um, trying to find out what his, his magic type is. Uh, he's apparently Chaos Magecraft. He's essentially the dumb one. Um, he's kind of the dumb, energetic child that, uh, runs around. He's usually getting grabbed in the face by, by Waver and told to stop being stupid for once. And Callus. Callus Yigata Millennia is the head of the Yigata Millennium clan. You know him from Fate Apocrypha as he was, uh, he was Berserker of Red. No, Berserker of Black's master, aka Frankenstein. He is the single greatest fuck you point in all of Fate Apocrypha. I'm still mad about it to this day. Because in this universe, his sister gave up being a mage, and now he's in charge. But if you remember Fate Apocrypha, there's that whole bullshit where she couldn't be a mage because she couldn't be mean to fucking people. And yada yada yada, and we're gonna fuck over the girl character because the girl character wants to be nice. And she's in a wheelchair, and blah blah blah. Fuck you, Fate Apocrypha. Uh, but Callus is kind of there, and he's the nerdy one with the computer. Uh, playing Callus is Tom- uh, returning to play Callus is Tom Bauer. Returning to play Flat is Koi Dao. And playing Sven, uh, Sven is David Arago Jr. Tom Bauer, you'll know his characters such as Phaeton and Hunter Hunter, uh, Hush, Mi- uh, Hush Mide and Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, and Garp Goemon and Welcome to Demon School Irimakun. Uh, Koi Dao, you'll know as Ray Kiriyama in March Comes in Like a Lion, Yuli in Sirius the Jaeger, and Cancer Cell in Cells at Work. Uh, David Arago Jr., you'll know as uh, Koki Furuta in Kuroko's Basketball. And this one isn't anime, but I found it, but he was apparently Ferb in Phineas and Ferb, Candace Against the Universe. Yeah, that's fun. Wow. Uh, so, Jet, go ahead. Oh, um, so starting with uh, Tom Bowers, Kales, uh, he does a odd job here. Uh, he does a good job of making uh, Kales sound like a very nice, proper boy. Has uh, uh, some uh, pretty good interactions with Waver. Uh, definitely comes off as having a better pat on his shoulders than some of Waver's other students. Uh, I mean, uh, he doesn't have nearly as much to do here as it is in Apocrypha, so I don't have, like, too many other thoughts. Otherwise, I don't think Todd did a fine job. Although, the whole, like, although, uh, although again, we did touch on how bad the mysteries of this show are, the whole thing with him, like, the whole thing with O, with o like, they, he was swapped out for Dr. Heartless at some point. It was like, yeah, there was no way the audience was going to catch on to that. It's also just, like, did... Did did he just was he knocked out? Was he just chilling? Was he just in his room? They put him in a pocket. No, they put him in a pocket dimension. Oh, that's what it was. They broke him out. Oh, and then they they yeeted him on the train. I'll be honest. I've been workshopping a joke that like uh, Callus is probably torrenting anime all week. But the thing I've been trying to figure out is that in the universe of Lord El Malloy and the Fifth Holy Grail War takes place in 2004 
So I've had to workshop and figure out what anime came out in 2004 that Callus would be torrenting. And guess what, Megan? Guess what fucking anime came out in 2004? Fucking Koikaze. So you think he's positive? <laughs> you think he's into Koikaze? Either that or Midor- Midori Days. Or Midori Days, because that's also 2004. I, I, I mean, Midori Days was cute at least. Mostly. I mean, he could have also been doing Gantz. Monster, Samurai Shampoo, or Tango Tenge. Those are all possible. He could be watching Elf and Leader Bleach. Oh god, he could be watching Elf and Lead. Fuck, he's the... Oh, yeah, he's actually the Elf and Lead guy, not a monster guy. Oh god, he... I love you, Callus, but you're totally a trashy piece of shit when it comes to your anime taste. Love you, buddy. Uh, please continue. Are you sure he was par- he was pirating something from that age? Also, this takes place in 2004? Yeah, this takes place in 2004, for sure. Oh right, duh. Yes, I was. I mean, I mean, it is only slightly less weird than the fact that, like, uh, most of the Digimon tribe movies take place in, like, I think, two thousand and six or something like that. And they have smartphones. Yeah. Yeah, this takes place in two thousand four because, like, the whole thing is the fact Fate Stay Night takes place in two thousand four, ten years after Fate Zero, and that's when Bill Clinton's still president. I keep forgetting that Fate Zero takes place in 94, even though there's an entire scene dedicated to Ryder talking about how he wants to fight Bill Clinton. Man, that's such a good scene. I mean, wouldn't be the first time Clinton whipped his dick out. Oh. Hey. Good night, everybody. Yeah, and, um, Cory Dowers flat, and, um, Emmanuel Tootie was Sven, uh, I mean, it's hard not to talk about these two characters together because they are pretty much just always around each other. And as I, I, I don't want like I don't want to say they intersect because they do have like very important personalities, but uh, but they are around each other constantly and just play off each other all the time. Uh, but I do uh, definitely dig their performances. Um, I definitely uh, Chloe Dow is flat is very definitely very interesting because he's sounds very peppy and hyperactive constantly, which are not things I really don't I associate with Cory Dow characters normally, but he does a pretty good job at that. Uh, I also kind of like uh, his whole conversation uh, with Gray when they're like down the sewer is where he messes up Weaver like basically the only person in the main world who like takes him seriously, and that's why he respects him. And I was like, oh, that's nice. He does care beneath all the times he's joking around. And then, uh, uh, I also do appreciate how much he just kind of is constantly busting Sven's chops about his crush on Ray, and that's, like, pretty funny. And then Sven, uh, David Ergo Jr. does a fine job. Uh, I mean, he's a bit on the quiet side, so there's not, like, a whole ton there, but his performance is fine. And, I mean, a lot of it is just, like, jokes at his expense about how horny he is for Green, and that's, like, that, but that's pretty amusing. There's an end, there's an end, and they, they do get better models out of that joke than everything that you bet, so there's at least that. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm dead. Awesome. Patrick? Yeah, so, honestly, it's still kind of fucking me up that Sven is played by one of the voices of Ferb. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna start with him and Flat, because they're... Honestly, while they do have their distinct personalities, they're basically played like dumb brothers. Um, David Arago and Koi Dao do a really good job basically playing the idiot has a point brother and then the smart brother. 
Um, they're really great. They're really fun. Um, David getting to play around with um, Zvin's uh, thirst for for Grey. Um, I thought that was really kind of fun. Again, they're they're a little bit of the stronger comedic relief in the show. Just because, you know, Luvia doesn't really play much of a big role until toward the end. Honestly, Koidao and David Arago Jr. do an absolutely wonderful job just sort of breaking moments of tension and honestly being a lot more competent at their magical skills than even they kind of want you to know that they have. And Tom Bauer as Callus um, is also pretty good. He's... um. He seems to be sort of the smartest one of Lord Elmoloy's class because he gets, in the final episode of the show, he gets promoted to the level of pride, which I guess is like a high class. No, age. that was that no, was, that's Sven. No, that's oh, that's Sven. Sven. Okay, and like especially knowing that Sven is fifteen, it's like okay, so you're just a full on child prodigy. Yeah, just like uh, Kaneth was. Okay, I got Sven yeah. kind of mixed up. My bad. Um. But yeah, I'm also kind of with Jet in the fact that um, how the fuck did Dr. Heartless manage to incapacitate Callus long enough to take his place? Because you never actually see it. And you don't see much of an opportunity for him to do it. I'd like to think Dr. Heartless subconsciously was able to figure out that Callus had a thing for uh, quiet, bl- quiet, blindfolded girls in wedding dresses. And then threw it in the pocket dimension, and then knocked him out in the pocket dimension. The worst part is when you said that, I immediately pivoted to an entirely different fate event than the one you were probably thinking of. I realize. What are you thinking of? Oh, you're thinking of the time Saber got like tied up and uh, was yeah, put in a wedding dress. Oh yeah, that that part of uh, UBW where Saber's entire agency got thrown in the garbage. Um, uh, no, I was just thinking about the fact that he's really into uh, Frankenstein. That's what I was going off. But yes, that was a thing. And there is another scene in the show where somebody gets tied up, but they're not put in a wedding dress. Okay. Um, anyway, these three performances were, were great. They were fun. Uh, some of them kind of provided comedic relief when it was necessary. So, great job, guys. Thumbs up. Oh, Callus. Um, welcome back, you little traitor. <laughs> um, what did he do? He didn't do nothing wrong. Uh, no, Tom does a great job as Callus. Um, I do like the parts where he kind of has to act as Dr. Heartless being Callus, because you can very much hear the differentiating in the way that they, they speak and their tone. Uh, you can very much tell when the evil, evil Callus kicks in. Uh, but again, he doesn't have as much of a big part in this as anybody else does. Everybody else does. I do like how in episode two, uh, Sven and Flat start fighting in front of his computer. He's like, "Not my computer," because he's literally got like a three a three monitor gaming PC. In two thousand four, which four. which that must have been like four eighty top four eighty p tops tops. Oh boy, I can't wait to watch my pirated sub anime at like a hundred and sixty bits. No, YouTube part no part one of part one of three. He pre no actually two thousand four predates YouTube. He's on like the Wine hard wire. shit. Napster. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Megan. It would have been LimeWire. 
He put LimeWire on his computer, and it broke the next day. Oh, God. Oh, no. He borked the, he borked the Yigit in Millennia. He borked the Yigit in Millennia computer system by buying porn on LimeWire. I feel like, you know what it was? Flat totally fucked up his computer trying to download a Britney Spears album, and then it turned out to have, like, 1,200 viruses on it because it was fucking LimeWire. Why is Flat getting the Britney Spears album? I don't know. He seems like the type that would be totally into Britney Spears. He would be free, Britney. Um. I mean, anyway, aren't we all? Anyway, except Britney's dad. Um, oh! <laughs> well, fuck anyway. him, anyways. Yeah, fuck that guy. Uh, anyways, no, so Tom Tom comes back as Callus very well. Uh, I love Koi as Flat because Flat is dumb as fuck. <laughs> I just love how how easily he bounces off the wall, like, by, what was it? Hey, uh, what Big Tower London shooting star? And he's just like, please stop. Like, he's so funny in this. But yet I also like those quiet moments, like, where he tells Grey why he loves being in, in the class and how happy he is for his buddy when his buddy gets promoted. And I just love how they keep busting Spin's balls about, about his just tone when he busts his buddy's balls. It's so it's so much fun. And I remember Koi was like, make more so I can keep voicing this guy. And then, oh, Spin, I love, he's probably my favorite of the student performances. Uh, mostly because he tries to be this calm, David tries to do this calm, cool, and collected. But you know, the second that Grey comes up, that facade is gone. And there's this one part, that one part in episode two where he's like, why is Grey calling you? Why do you have a phone? And he gets so mad and they start wrestling. But also when they're in the sewers and he finds it and just the snap in his tone that is so chilling where he's like, hi. And it freaks Grey out. It's so good. Uh, David's a performance that really surprised me mostly because I don't know a lot of his, his work, even though he is in a series that I love. I just haven't watched the job of it all yet because I'm waiting for the last season to come before I do the episode of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, great work all around. Andrew. So funny you mention, uh, wanting to hear more of Koi play this character because, because from what I'm told, um, Fate, Strange Fake... Vladis Gardos actually plays a pretty prominent role in that. And I've I've really, really been wanting to see that get adapted because that one is written by one uh Ryogo Narita of Bakano Dudara fame. Oh my god, is that fucking is that fucking Mori Ringo Morita? Yeah it is. Why don't we have that? Because I, I'm not sure why, but from what uh, JR Pictures was telling me, actually, uh, is that what he was telling me is that they're apparently uh, actually have a pretty good amount of control over that particular IP, despite it being a fate, fate project, which is pretty impressive in itself. That's kind of why it hasn't showed up in a lot of uh, various fate media like Fate Grand Order. But I really want to see it finished and get adapted oh, because I really need to see what Ryo Godarta fate looks like. I need to know. Also, there's literally there's literally just a wolf. So first things first, um, I'm gonna start off with uh, Tom Bauer as Callus because it's just actually really nice getting to hear him back again. I I thought he was a very interesting character in Apocrypha and. He's got the same level... He basically is the same character in El Malloy as he was in Apocrypha. 
he's got a level of dorky, earnest sincerity to him. You could definitely tell he's not built for this, but he's definitely doing his best with the circumstances presented in front of him. Tom plays him very sweet, very a little bit of snark at times, but he plays him very good boy, very sweet, and Tom really does a good job endearing me to the character of Callus. And I do believe that he is trying his best in this weird mage society, while also being the only guy with a very powerful 2004-era supercomputer. Now, <laughs> fucking Flat and Svin. I love these little blonde bitches so, so much. They share a single fucking brain cell, and it is amazing. Like... It feels like, I'm pretty sure that Sven has the single brain cell and Flat is the one that has to share it with him every now and then. But I love these bickering blonde bitches so fucking much and just everything about their delivery cracks me up. Uh, David as Sven plays uh, this very good little uh, prodigy beast boy. And he is earnest, very cool, level-headed, except when it comes to Grey, in which he becomes a giant fucking stupid idiot for. And it's just... He, he, he does a really good job selling me on the the drama of this... Not the drama. Uh, the strengths of this character when he goes into action, while also playing him off as very uh, goofy and try-hard when it comes to Grey's affections. And then there's Koi as flat, when it's just... Koi is a chaotic, stupid motherfucker that likes to get in trouble with Elmaloy all the goddamn time. And Koi plays him with a level of such kind stupidity that it's just absolutely delightful. He's so fun. And you can tell that he is living to try and tease his professor, like, to the ends of the earth. And it's just, it's just a light. Though I think my favorite scene with these two in general is uh, when uh, Sven is freaking out about the fact that uh, he has, that Flat has Grey's number? And he's like, how? How did you get her number? How did you get her number? And it's like, duh, I have a cell phone. You don't. Which, that's how you know this is an older mid-2000s time era because not everybody has a fucking cell phone and some people have flip phones but i love how flat kind of gets to be the the level-headed one in that scenario and gets to lord over uh his buddy there it's it's just so funny i love these two fucking idiots so much akoi and david are delightful awesome so let's move into lord elmaloy's financial support system <laughs> Support <laughs> system. I mean, people who racket you, people who keep taking money from from waiver it, giving it and taking it. It's like the fucking Jetsons, where like he pulls out the dollar and she takes the wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Play. Uh, they are Rainus Elmaloy Archi uh, Archisorte who is Kaneth's actual cousin, Kaneth Elmaloy's cousin, who when, you know, Kaneth got double-crossed in the world's greatest, uh, no, but, uh, reverse Uno card of death, she is too young to take over, so she has, uh, asked Waver to, because Waver bought the Lord Elmaloy title, uh, to stand in her place at the clock tower until she is old enough, but he has three things to do, 
that being pay off their debt and repair their magical circuit. Because when Kanith got his ass handed to him, uh, it destroyed a lot of his magical circuit. Uh, and then there's Melvin Waynes, uh, Mel Melvin Waynes, who is Waver Velvet's quote-unquote best friends. Uh, he is an albino, a best friend. He is an albino sugar daddy with a pension for uh, spontaneously spewing up blood on your carpets. Uh, he also likes to dig into his mommy's pockets. Uh, he's also a magic tuner, meaning that he can fix uh, and enhance people's magic circuits, which is really important in like the last episode, actually, because you find out that Waver's collateral is his magic, his own magic circuit. Which is a big fucking deal. Because Waver's only a third generation mage. Playing uh, Rhinus is Allegra Clark. And playing Melvin is our director, Christian Lamont. Allegra Clark, you'll know his characters such as Senna and Konosuba, God's Blessing on This Wonderful World Season 2, uh, Cecil Sue and Last Hope, and Pita Hui in Sword Art Online, Gun Gale Online. Christian Lamont, you'll know his characters such as Suishi Tsukamoto in Sound Euphonium, A Brand New Day. Uh, Makoto Kyogu in Detective Conan Episode 1, and Damuel in Ascendance of a Bookworm. And because a bunch of us here are fake, are, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses people, he is sweet baby Ignatz. I love my boy Ignis. He's so good. He's so good and good archer. I'm so surprised you named the cat Ash and not Ignatz. Look, Ash was a name that fit better for him as far as what he looked like. Ignatz is also a lot harder to say in general. Plus, with his weird, with his funny little uh, patterns on his coat, it kind of looks like he's got a little bit of like ink or ash all over him. Ashy patterns. Anyways, also, anyway. why is every archer in Fire Emblem Three Houses? Why do they all grow up to be so fucking hot? Anyway, guess who, uh, <laughs> Andrew, you're talking. Go ahead. I'm gonna start with, uh, I'm gonna start with Melvin first, actually, because I think Christian Lamont is a really interesting actor in general. Uh, he, like, I, I'm very accustomed to him after playing a lot of the Golden Deer route in Three Houses, where Ignatz became a very valuable unit to me. But I think Christian brings this very interesting, uh, lackadaisical carefree spirit to the the magical world that you don't really find in a lot of these like uh rivaling rivalry rival bleh, rival magic uh families he's just kind of here for a good time and to be uh waver's uh albino sugar daddy and he's going to spend all the money he wants to have a good time. But I think Christian does a good job giving him an, a nice air of sweetness with a little bit of mystery and just a little, just a sheer, sheer amount of chaos. So I think, I think Christian does a very nice job with it. And I think he is very, very, does a very good job with this character. Now who I really want to talk about is Allegra Clark. Allegra Clark as Rhinus. Uh, first things first, I'm going to mention, just because you didn't mention it earlier, Megan, I'm going to mention the fact that Allegra Clark is no stranger to this podcast and also no stranger to the Fate franchise. Because I want to mention, I want to mention the fact that 
she was not one, not two, but three. Three different characters in Fate Apocrypha. She was uh, the Archer of Red. She was the Caster of Red, uh, Semiramis, and Atalante was the Archer of Red. Uh, two different servants, and the Master of Jack the Ripper. All three of these women sounded completely, completely different from one another, and it was my first real glance into Allegra Clark's range, and I was very impressed then, and I am still getting impressed because holy shit, this is not an Allegra I've ever heard of. This is an extremely high-pitched, catty, bratty little bitch, and she is spectacular. She's incredible! Her chemistry with these other characters is stellar enough as it is, but her delivery is so unique and so unlike anything else I've heard out of Allegra Clark before that it genuinely is, like, one of the most interesting performances in this entire dub. I'd say one of the strongest in the dub, period. It's really something to behold, and I think Allegra absolutely, absolutely nails playing this really really compelling, bratty, cunning child. Also, she's just, maybe should, I, I know they're not actually related, but I think she's a little too into uh, Waver's virginity card, his V card. Because, like, when she's uh, dealing with the, her magic circus being low, she's like, hey, so I found out that um, this is a good room for uh, baby-making uh, you want to bear me in air right now? That that'll be pretty good. It's like, sweetie, no, you're no. fifteen. <laughs> no. You can you can even tell oh, that even she's just that waiver's just like, no, I'm not having any of this. No, no, no. But um, yeah, no, legitimately, uh, Legra Clark, uh, fan fucking tastic. I cannot believe somebody I already knew was su still super talented could still surprise me like she does. I was very impressed. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, uh, do, 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 let's start, you know what, I'm gonna start with Melvin. He's got a really fun sort of manic energy to him, um, which, of course, when these episodes start up, he immediately pukes up blood, and that's the end of that, and everybody's just like, yeah, gross. But I love the fact that he basically has, you know, Waver, Lord Elmoloy, by the balls, because he's, he's giving him so much money... But at the same time, all he's asking for is to be involved in his shenanigans. And it's great. Like, Christian does a really good job just sort of pumping up the energy and just... This guy is just a ball of pure, like, sugar cereal. And it's just... He goes, like, a mile a minute and then just pukes up blood. I don't even know why he pukes up blood. He just pukes up blood. He just does. That he has anime character disease. I see. It's terminal. <laughs> um, and then Alleg Allegra Clark as Rhinus. Um, I actually had to be reminded by Andrew that she was like three different characters in Fate Apocrypha. So this is actually really impressive because I didn't immediately recognize her here. Um, I love the fact that she just absolutely gets under Lord Elmoloy's skin. And is just an absolute shit gremlin. Um, she's just great. Both of the both of these guys are just great at sort of a different kind of comedic presence to the show. 
uh, that lends itself really, really well to sort of the the gruff, the stiff, the serious sort of mystery aspect to it. So thumbs up all around. Uh, Chris Lobot as uh, Melvin. Uh, did a pretty good job. Uh, I made this fun inner. I make this fun kind of wacky figure who uh, peeps up blood and is basically just... Okay, okay, I would say William was boyfriend, but that's not fair. He's, he's more, I would say, Wayward side it's, it is clear Wayward is going to do one person and one person only. I mean, Melvin's just really good practice. Like, he gets to try, he gets to uh, prepare himself a little bit for when the king uh, comes back inside, you know? Plus, uh, Melvin's got a lot of natural lubricant in his But yeah, Melvin's just good practice. Look, it's like the meme with the hamster and the banana. You figure it out somehow. Yeah, but yeah, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I do like Chris Lobot's uh, performances. Melvin, he's a lot, uh, he's a lot of fun. Uh, he, he bounces off of Waver's actor really well. Uh, they have a lot of fun interactions. And then, like, one of my favorite bits of him is, like, that is when uh, he's being told about, like, everything that's going, uh, that's going on in the train. And his immediate reaction is, I have to get on that train. Like, the only one who's allowed to hurt Wafer is me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only one that can, t I'm the only one that can hurt him. Like, what the fuck? Uh, so, yeah, that whole thing was beautiful. And then, um... A liquor cork as uh, right is uh, is interesting because uh, honestly, until Megan brought it up, I actually didn't remember that was a liquor cork. I actually thought it was the actors we'll probably be talking about in the next section, and it did kind of and it did like and yeah. It, I'm not gonna lie, and it did sound like and it did sound like her. So I honestly just thought that's what it was. It's legitimately <laughs> impressive. It's crazy. But, yeah, but yeah, like I did a really good job just being this, 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 this being this very sassy, uppity girl. Again, I do like again I do appreciate that her literal interruption is her, that is her the three year old boy waiver like stacked up on a chair, stacked up on like three chairs just to. It's like, like three so very look, elegant boxes. Yeah, yeah just, so, just specifically so she could look down on him. She kind of reminded me of the villain from Cats Don't Dance, in a way, if you remember that. <laughs> oh my god! Fuck, you're right! She's, yes. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and, yeah, like her, and just... And uh, there's just so much fascinating to like his performance. It's, it's beautiful. And, 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 and again, uh, her vocal rate, I mean, like her vocal rate just continues to terrify me. This really doesn't sound like any of the three characters he played in Alpha and Apocrypha. The only, uh, the only point of comparison I would probably have for this is uh, is, is the true form of that, of, is the true form of the characters he plays in God Got a Lot of Line, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, like Ellen was a lot of fun here. I like how she bounces off of a lot of the other characters, especially especially Weaver. I did get a, I did get a chuckle out of her and being like, "Hey, we should do some baby baby making Weaver be like, eh, let's go to sleep." So so yeah, both performances are real good. So I'll start with Melvin, who 
There are some lines between Rainus and Melvin, though. Like, I think it's like that episode where he burst into her office, just her delivery of, uh, please don't spontaneously vomit on my carpet. No, uh, oh, can you please not vomit on the floor? My thing is, though, I'm also very sad that Rainus's little metal uh, attendant doesn't get credited. Because when they're locked in the Macy, she has a fucking hilarious moment. I'm so upset I don't know who it is. Uh, Melvin, Christian Lamont. Uh, there are some times where I get- I'm, I'm not super familiar with Christian's acting outside of Fire Emblem. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. Um, but he- he rocks it as Melvin. He plays him as this very lovable, dumb kind of guy who really does have a good kind of heart deep down. And I genuinely love the- the conversation between him and Grey in the last episode of the show. Where- Gray is like, why do you keep calling him Waver? Because he is the only person who calls him Waver. Like, the entire show. And just the absolute sincerity of his voice where he's like, eventually he's going to step down. And he won't be Lord Elmoloy II anymore. And no, everyone will call him Waver again. But he does it because he doesn't want to let Waver forget that he is still Waver Velvet. And there's just this beautiful, like... He genuinely cares for him. Like, is he kind of a uh, is he kind of a well endowed a well financially well endowed troll? Yes. Does he mean well? Maybe. But I love that Christian gets to play him being serious, being really funny. Uh, those blood those bludged vomits sound great. I love in that first episode where Rhinus has him upside down and he's telling the story about the two of them in Babylon together. Just the, the will you shut it, new guy? And then he's just like, oh my god, it's you. And it's just so much fun to listen to. And then I genuinely have to give Allegra Clark some props. Because one, I totally forgot she can do a little girl's voice. Because the thing is that Pito Hui's true form is like a maybe five minute long scene at maximum. And I also forgot that Allegra Clark plays three people in Fate Apocrypha. I genuinely forgot. So the fact that she not only plays a 15 year old Rhinus very convincingly, but that she plays the 10 year, the five year old Rhinus very convincingly is great. And that, that thing of her, I love the first kind of interaction that you get to learn, Rhinus's whole kind of character, is where she's this little girl going, you know, the human body can only take being upside down for so long, so you better get talking. And she's just this delightfully haughty girl who is, is very much pushing Waver's buttons. And she's all, and there's the sense in this voice where Rhinus is already playing the politics game of the Mages Association. Because she's dealing with uh, Soliad's brother, who doesn't like Waver very much. Uh, who, I think that guy is played by Zeno Robinson? I thought it was Alex Lee, actually. It sounded a lot kind of like uh, his guy from Kuriko. Yeah, he's not credited. That guy isn't credited, unfortunately. Whoever plays uh, Soliad's brother, please, please, please jump up. Please jump up. Um, and just how well she transitions from little girl to teenager. And how she also has those moments of vulnerability, like when her eye, her brand is going 
her brand is going off in episodes three and four and just don't use me like a catalyst. Shut up, catalyst. She's just so it's so much. That's the thing about this dub is that a lot of these performances are fun. And when they have to be heartfelt, they have to be heartfelt. But just characters like Rhinus, who are very sleazy, like there's there's no way about that that this girl would would shank you in your sides and take your money, and uh, like repulls it off. And again, I'm a hundred percent surprised that she could do this. Like this is to me one of the epitomes of voice acting black magic. Because let's all be real, none of us. If I hadn't told, okay, by a show of hands, if I hadn't told any of you as Allegra, would you have guessed no. it was her? No. So yeah, that's my feelings. Let's move on to our penultimate characters gray and ad and it's finally time for me to read gray's fucking deal <sighs> ladies and gentlemen from the fate the tight moon fan wiki the clan of the village where gray was born aimed to create a being capable of handling the holy alliance that had been passed down for generations in other words their purpose was to revive king arthur in flesh and spirit However, their attempts had thus far been contentious failures, and the ritual had been relegated to folk trail and tradition. Grey was to be the flesh of King Arthur. When she was born, her facial features vaguely resemble those of King Arthur. But ten years ago, her bodily suddenly changed into that of King Arthur's. Losing her true face, she could no longer differentiate her own existence from that of King Arthur. Because of this, she could never fully understand herself. Due to Grey's situation, the villagers, including her mother, Magdalena, believed her to be King Arthur's second coming and energized the village elder in making them take seriously the plan to bring back King Arthur. As a result, Grey feared and hated her own face. The villagers treated Grey as the body of the king and started regulating her lifestyle to the finest detail to try and increase her compatibility as much as they could. With Grey's body and the corpse king as the mine, the last remaining part of the ritual was the soul, which the villagers stuck on since the villagers were stuck on since manipulating the soul like that would require third magic. However, they were given information from Dr. Heartless about the fourth Fuyuki Holy Grail War and the upcoming fifth, and decided to gamble everything on Arthuria being summoned again, and they could intercept her soul coming from the throne of heroes by providing the perfect vessel. Once Grey became a perfect physical copy of the, uh, just as the Fuyuki Fifth Grail War, Holy Grail War started, they would use the blade erosion to give in them long ago by the Black Madonna to separate Grey's mind and soul from her body, override her personality with the Corpse King and the mental construct, thus allowing King Arthur's spirit to enter her body. Unfortunately, that meant Grey's soul would be lost forever. So basically, they made Grey to be a fucking body for King Arthur. Uh, that is actually. They test tube. They test tube. They test tube made their own King Arthur robot. So, okay, so that is odd, but weirdly, that is actually not that bizarre by face there, dudes. You know what? It's not magic sperm. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not the magic fucking sperm. It's still convoluted as fuck, though. Exactly. Uh, it is also weird that this is never actually brought up in the show at all for some reason. Yep. And then there's Ad. Ad is a construct that was uh, basically passed down in her family. Uh, so it's basically King Arthur's spear, and it talks. And it's very, very smarmy. Okay, mm -hmm. so. Playing Grey is Kaylee Mills, and playing Ad is Bregg Chun. Kaylee Mills knows characters such as uh, Frida <laughs> and Ascendant. Bless you. 
Frida and Descendants of a Bookworm, Union and Kodasuba, and Karin Na- uh, Nanase and Inspector. She also was, this is also not her first Fate Rodeo, as she was Fiori Yiga de Millennia, aka Girl Who Gets Screwed, in Fate Apocrypha. At Greg Chun, you'll know his characters such as Ethan in Dragon's Dogma, Aragaki in Megalobox, and the Man with the Key in Millennium Actress. Uh, let's start this off with Patrick. All right. Um, so I guess we'll start with Kaylee Mills as Gray. Um, I feel like, you know, she she does a great job, sort of with the. She's a she's very monotone as a character. I guess is what I'm trying to get at, and um, she. Kaylee does a great job sort of conveying that while at the same time slowly allowing her to warm up and open up to the people around her. Um, and even and this goes as far as to her enemies as well when she's fighting Faker and they get trapped out in the in the weird magical forest, the the child of Inok, I think is the name of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and they basically have to work together in order to escape and get back to the train. I generally liked it. Greg Chuna's ad. He's a salty sailor, and I just love it. He trash talks everyone around him, and it's it's just absolutely great. And um, one thing I actually kind of appreciate, um, and it's not anything that. Kaylee or Greg do as Gray or Ed. It's in the uh, it's in the final fight between Gray and Faker when she's able to activate her, I guess the closest thing to her noble phantasm that she has. The Doctor Octagonopus yeah. laser. Um, Doctor Octagonopus, because I I don't know if it was ever credited. I could almost say you can hear either. Kari Walgren or Michelle Ruff as Saber in the background, as well as um, David Vincent as Gilgamesh. I think at least a few more of the Fate Zero heroic spirits were in that sequence. And I thought that was a really nice touch. I'll have to go back and listen to that. Like, I could very well be wrong, but I feel like it was all of the, uh, the heroic spirits of Fate Zero... I think Sans Iskandar. But if I'm right, that was a really fucking nice touch. Ed is a smarmy little bitch, and um, Grey is just sort of a little monotone, but, like, slowly warming up, and I, I really liked them both, so thumbs up. Awesome. Uh, Jet? Uh, sure. Uh, Greg Tude is Ed. Uh, he's a lot of fun. He was very snarky. Uh, admittedly, it has been a good while since I've heard Greg Chu just do this sort of thing. I know he can do it because uh, every now it's basically uh, the role he did as the uh, Optimus character, not Direct Center, whose name currently escapes me for some reason. Uh, but, you mean the chameleon? But, so, so I, know the, I said the octopus. Oh! I, oh, shit! Yeah! Yeah, I know who you're talking about, but the name escapes me. I know who you're talking about. I gotta look it up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The name is Casey, but it's Icalgo. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay Icalgo. Yeah, he did this. Yeah, he did this kind of voice for Icalgo, but I haven't really heard him do anything like that since then. So I'm very used to Greg Tune just doing a very uh, default sexy Greg Tune thing, which is it's, it's so exciting when he gets to get when he gets to you know play something different every now and then. And this was one of 
that was a lot of fun. He, had, he does a pretty good job busting Grace jobs constantly. And that's uh, pretty amusing. Uh, so I also do did the kind of robot monotone when uh, Gray has to like use the wax and whatnot. Kaylee Mills is great. Uh, uh, it's very solid. I mean, I've gotten pretty used to hearing Kaylee Mills as like Janet Gremlins for a while. So, so even though I know she can do like quieter characters, it is a little refreshing hearing her do this sort of thing, and she does it very well. I mean, she does a very good job of making Gray just seem like a very nice, fifth kind of quiet girl. And so, and who's just trying to do the right thing and, like, look at the waiver. And, so, and, so, and, they, like, and they have, like, a pretty nice little student-teacher dynamic going. That, that's uh, very cute and whatnot. And so, I do, I do, I do like how she passes off a lot of the other characters. I, I, I like the whole bit about how she's just, like, completely clueless to... To have two swings crossing her, just like think and thinks he hates her for some reason, and that's pretty funny. So and uh, so, and I do and uh, before I didn't like how he uh, bounced stuff of a feisty on while they were fighting. I thought they had like a pretty interesting dynamic going. And uh, so, admittedly, I was like, so, admittedly, I was kind of annoyed by the fact that we never really learned what this character's deal was in the show proper. And that kind of bothered me throughout, but that's not on Kayla's performance. And I thought that otherwise, he did a good job. I like both of these. Awesome. And let's go to Andrew. So I'm going to start off with Greg Chun as Ad. So I, I know just to keep the theme, uh, Megan, I know you already mentioned uh, who Kaylee played already in Fate. But there is actually somebody that Greg Chun has played in Fate before. What the fuck did Greg play? Well... Greg Chun played twice H. Pierceman in Fate Extra, Last Encore, the one shafted that we're probably not going to Ah, okay. But yeah, let me, let me go into uh, Greg for this one. Greg is... I, I've got a kind of familiar with Greg Chun as a voice actor. I've got a good feeling of his particular tone of voice. He plays kind of like cooler, gruffer sounding cool guys. Ad is not that at all. Ad is wacky, weird, sassy, bitchy animatronic. And he is just, he is not afraid to chastise and uh, belittle uh, poor Gray here. He's going to make fun of her and he's going to talk shit to her. Uh, I think my particular favorite one was, uh, I think one of my favorite moments is that uh, Gray's fucking riding his face like a surfboard. And he's just, he is just so pissed that she's riding him, his face like that. And it's, it's, he, he's not having it. You can tell he's not having it. And he also makes fun of her and says, like, that she's really worried about uh, the professor and trying to make him all her embarrassed like that. I was like, oh, he's an asshole. He knows all her dirty secrets. He's, he's not afraid to uh, put it all on the line. But then when the restraints are done, then he goes from being a goofy, weird, little, like, animatronic terror to, like, actually really cool guy, serious Greg Chude, where it's, like, releasing restraints, number one. It's like, oh, oh, that was not the voice I expected at all. At all. Like, he, he literally unleashes his personality, and he, he gets to do his thing. I think Greg brings a really unique 
tone of voice to add, and it's really interesting, and I was pretty impressed by it. And then there's Kaylee. Sweet, adorable, precious little Grey. She's doing her best she can. She's doing a good job. I love this little goth child. Goth Grim Reaper good girl. She's so sweet. She's so cute. She's also really good at doing, like, cool action scenes, too, which I was very surprised by. Uh, she has a lot of great chemistry with uh, El Malloy in particular, as well as uh, the other members of his class. Uh, she does a really good job doing drama, doing, like, also really cute little silly scenes when she's out at, with the mall and being a girly girl. Or also when she's very distraught at with when she's talking to Kyrie about being worried about a professor. And also when she undoes those restraints and she just becomes a Grim Reaper Saber. I it's very cheesy, but I kind of adore the uh the clearly English, but then just actually dubbed in English Crave Grave Deprave grave for you is like it, it's so silly but i think kaylee does a good job selling it as well as doing the really good action super powered uh noble phantasm lance scream but i i just think legit gray is a very fun very sweet character kaylee gives a very endearing powerful performance as gray it's very unique it's very interesting and i i really like kaylee and a lot of the things she does but yeah kind of like greg i'm glad that kaylee's got a lot of uh vocal variety and diversity to her vocal range that she really gets to play around with in a show like this okay so i want to talk about ad first uh i really like I really like their I really like Greg's performance, even though it's got that weird filter on it to make him sound a little more like demonic. But it works really well. Like you said, you're you guys are right, where I don't get we don't get to hear a lot of Greg Toon being a little little smarmy asshole. And I love that every time that he does, she just takes him and starts shaking him around like the little girl from Finding Nemo with the fish in a bag. Oh jeez. Like, she's just like, excuse me. He's like, ah, stop it! And I just love how fucking awful he is. And I, I really love the part where she snowboards on his face. Please, you're gonna shred my face off! But I also like he has that one genuine moment of sincerity. Where he's like, tell me what you finally want with your own words. And she does. And it's great. And then she fucking Dr. Octagonopuses. Faker and Dr. Heartless. I can't describe it as anything but Dr. Octagonopus blah. She fires in her laser. And then... Oh God, because I, I can't say more about Greg that's already been said, but I want to talk about uh, Kaylee's performance as Grey. And one of the things I'm very happy about is that they didn't have her emulate Kari Walger or Michelle Ruff as Saber. Because she's a copy of Saber, but she's also her own person. And even though I, and this is one of the things I haven't complimented about the show. This show is fucking gorgeous. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the CGI is a little wonky, but the, the shot work and the animation is beautiful. And I love the use of reflection in it. And there are some times when she talks 
and you see not her reflection, but that of the faceless saber that that killed Kaneth. And again, I really want to compliment the fact that they don't make Ryan imitate Kara or Michelle. They let Ryan. Sorry, I thought this was. I thought. Sorry, let me go back. That they let Kaylee play the character. I thought this was Ryan Bartley at points. Uh, I don't know why, but Kaylee does a very good job in this. And the fact of it is, is that as a person, Grey comes to respect themselves. Because Grey is very reclusive and shy and, and curious, but she has no self-worth. And that's why a lot of the scene, like the scene where she gets stuck in magical Macy's with Rhinus, where she's like, I, uh, it's like, there you two are treasures, but I'm not. And Rhinus is like, no, please stop thinking shittily of yourself. Uh, Rhinus may gatekeep Gaslight Girl Boss, but she doesn't know how to lift a sister up. Um, Rhinus is Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss, and you know it. You're not wrong. And I think the thing that really endears me to Kaylee's performance, uh, even though she has been in Fate before, is that, yes, it does sound different from Fiore. Even though, and Fiore's character arc frustrates me, and I hate it. Uh, Thanks for fucking her over, guys. This arc, I'm so glad she got to play a character that gets the opposite treatment. And I think that she makes Grey so endearingly cute, especially at the end where she's trying to give Waver the notebook that he bought her. And it's all beaten up because she's getting her ass kicked by his festion. <laughs> to which, God, her performance with Morgan in that scene is top notch. Uh, but I think we've all complimented this and got over it. Let's get into the real reason we're all here. <laughs> Lord El Malloy II, better known as Waver Velvet one of the few survivors of the Fourth Holy Grail War. In fact, I think the only people who survived were, like, what, Karitsugu, Kotamine, him, and that's it. Right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, technically, Karitsugu survived the Holy Grail War, just... Yeah, he, he survived, in air quotes. <laughs> he survived, in air Waver's the only one who kind of came out for the better... He came out a better person than he went in. <laughs> anyway, uh, Waver Velvet is is by far the most interesting part of Fate Zero, and you can all fight me on that. And stepping wonderfully back into his shoes is Lucian Dodge. He knows characters such as Kenzi, Kenji Miyazawa in Bungo Stray Dog, Jafar in Magi, and Yutaro Sumigi in Aldnoa Zero. I'm going to start with this because I have a lot to say and I just want to get a couple of things out in that, like I said earlier, to me, Lucian Dodge is Waver Velvet. Like, nobody else plays him as well as he does. I I watched the show. I watched this all in Japanese. And to be, to be fair, I was okay with a lot of the subcast, but to me, Waver never sounded right. Because it wasn't Lucian. And I think it's because Daisuke Namikawa does not differentiate between his ages very well. And that's something Lucian does. Every age of Waver sounds like a different age. Like, Holy Grail Waver sounds much more youthful and energetic and a lot more naive. Kind of the that Waver that goes to Babylon is still kind of more naive and good-hearted. 
but he's getting up there. And then, of course, you have the waiver in the show, who is very much... I think you described him as Sobnock without tenure. Uh, Caligo, actually. That, that would be Professor Caligo. Caligo without tenure. The thing is that, at times, his his older Lord Elmoy, the second voice, reminds me of his performance as Felix in Three Houses. But then there are those moments where he starts to yell. And it's it's so good. And the thing I want to, I, I really want to compliment is that I, I joke about, I was joking in my mind where, where I watched, it's like, what'd you get out of the fourth Holy Grail War? Anxiety! <laughs> and post-traumatic um, stress disorder, but, for sure. He got that. It, 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 a lot of PTSD. Um, is that Lucian does convey that sense of a man stuck in time. Because I think, Kyrie says it best to Grey at the end of the uh, fairy, the fairy eyes episode, where, uh, like, something about the dead always being by your side and, and trapping people. Because Waver is still trapped by his desire to live up to the person that Iskandar wants him to be. And... If if you've genuinely have never seen, I think it's like what episode seventeen, of Fate Zero. Okay, if you've never seen that episode and specifically the scene on the bridge, where Iskandar and Gilgamesh have their final fight between each other, and and let's be real, if Waver hadn't said the right thing, he would have been dead at that point too, like. Full spoilers, because when he's asked, are you Gilgamesh's ma when he Gilgamesh asks him, are you his master? He says, no, he's his follower. And in that moment, I guess Gil respects the answer and doesn't kill him. I'm going to let you ride it out. Eh, I'm ride it I out killed, I see what I, you did there. I'll let it. And the thing is that that always is like, the series itself goes out of its way to point out how that moment specifically is what remains in his mind because like the o the actual first episode opening is a very nice recreation from troika uh studio troika did this not uh, uh not uh ufa table of him watching iskandar die in battle and you flash back to that and you get a lot of flashes in the reflection of waver seeing himself as uh lord boy seeing himself as waver velvet during the holy grail war and the way that Lucian portrays this man who is is still emotionally attached to a person who is not only dead, but if given the chance to come back and see him again, would not remember the days they spent together. That to, to Waver, he would be a stranger. He would 100% be a stranger if resummoned again. And there's this thing where Grey kind of has this moment where she realizes that if he goes, he's going to leave behind the legacy that he could be building to become the man he wants to be. And to me, Lucian's performance does have a lot of very great dry wit to it because Waver's humor is very dry-witted and very fast. It has that that moment of absolute like hamminess like when he he gets like stabbed in the foot or when he's complaining or there are really good moments of very smarmy comedy like at the end of episode two a fish episode three overall episode two and the episode count numbers because there's an episode zero what the fuck fucking whatever 
where he's like, well, I'm glad that worked. And they all kind of look at him like, what? It's like, yeah, I was fucking lying the whole time. As you do. And just the fact that he gets through a lot of this magic technobabble stuff without batting an eye and it feels so natural. But I have to talk about the absolute dagger scene where after Flat gets promoted, oh no, sorry, Sven gets promoted and he's drank too much, he falls asleep and he, and he has the dream of Iskandar at the beach. And shout out to getting Jameson Price back for this, like, three lines. Also, shout out to getting um, Kaneth's actor back, too. Doug Erholtz. Doug Erholtz as Kaneth. Which, that scene is also great, where he's talking about... Where Kaneth is talking about how he stole it and ran off to prove himself. Because that's the weird thing. Lucian takes response. Sorry. Waver takes responsibility for Kaneth's death. But Kanan's death isn't his fault. Kanan's death is his own fucking fault because Kanan's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, Kanan is an asshole, and let's be real, he probably, Iskandar would have probably ditched his ass. Like, the only reason Diarmud stayed with him was because Diarmud had a loyalty thing built into him. And I think, like, even then, Kaneth had to pump, like, command seals into him to keep him loyal. Yeah, like, Kaneth's, Kaneth's, what killed Kaneth wasn't Lord Elmoloy. It was Kaneth's pride. And essentially, I think that, and so to talk about the dagger scene, it's when, Lu- it's when, I keep wanting to call Waver Lucian, but it's not. Is when he's having that dream and you hear Lucian in his voice trying to wrestle with the logical side of him but you know he is like the happiest he's ever been to see him and just the delivery of him crying as he tells him yes and I fucking sobbed my eyes out when I watched that in the sob and I sobbed my eyes out through it here it's so good Lucian's performance as Lord Elmoloy II is one of the highlights of this year in dubbies and I'm so pissed this is not streaming because it's so fucking good I rest my case bring in the dancing lobsters <laughs> I mean even if it's not streaming it does still count for dubby eligibility anyway so it's still fair game uh, anyways who's next? And you're talking so go oh okay okay sure I can go Lucian Dodge as Waver Velvet it's it is very clear that it's so good that he's finally got his leading role for sure in an anime, even if it's by uh, by technicality, but it still fucking counts to me. But Lucian Dodge as Waver Velvet and as El Malloy is really interesting because they are different performances and almost sometimes different characters. Waver Velvet is a starry-eyed, naive, but well-meaning boy. You also hear him a few years older, where he is slightly older and more mature in his voice, but not too far removed from Waver Velvet in Fate Zero. And then there's El Malloy, who is just this older, more tired, needs a fucking nap, done with the shit of everybody around him, mystery solving magic man he's strange mysterious but he means well and he's just lucian brings just a level of energy he brings a level of finesse and experience to the role that was very 
not there when he was playing Waver and Fate Zero. I don't, I should clarify, I don't mean like experience as in vocal experience. I mean experience with wisdom that Waver now has as a character. He makes that clear. I love uh, his mystery solving antics. I love the fact that he is this magic mage man who knows the ways of the world, even if it's always sometimes kind of bullshit. As corny as it is, I love his explanations of the mysteries and the things around him. His little why done it is so stupid, but the way Lucian sells it is very uh, endearing. And also, just, he he means well, he's got a very strict face, but I'll say I really did like that final scene with him reuniting with Iskandar in his dream, where it was very much uh, him getting emotional, teary-eyed, a level of vulnerability he wasn't showing throughout the entire show, and it really came through when he was thought, asked by Iskandar if he was having fun, and he said, yeah, and it's just, I felt that. And man, I made this joke as a bit earlier in the episode, not in, blah. man, I made this joke as a bit in our chat earlier, but man, I actually, for realsy, want to see a AMV that is uh, Ryder, Iskandar, and uh, Waver to the song That Distant Shore from Steven Universe. It's really fucking good. I did it as a bit, and it fits way better than it fucking should. Anyways, Lucian Dodge was fantastic. I rest my case. Uh, Jack. Sure. Uh, yeah, I really... Because I, I really enjoyed this show. I I was a pretty big fan of Lucian's waiver way back in Fate Zero some ten odd years ago, and uh, he's and he's still got it. Uh, this is uh, definitely a, a lot deeper than I a little used to Lucian sounding. Well, I mean, uh, okay, I mean, at least at the time I first heard this. Like since then, he's done stuff like Fearless and Fire and ones I'm like a little more used to this voice now, but. The first time I heard it, it was a little weird for him, but uh, he definitely makes it work. And then, like, I will, like, I will say, I do think there are a couple of points where it does feel like he's like maybe straining his voice a little bit to like maintain the older, gruffer sounding waiver, but otherwise he's fine. And so, and like you were all saying, I think he does do a pretty good job of showing like waiver, I'm sure waiver throughout the ages, and like. As I, and does a really good job of like differentiating his voice depending on Waver's age, and uh, it's a, and definitely more noticeably than uh, what Nice Kid Nabi was doing. So uh, that's definitely much appreciated. And yeah, I definitely just appreciate uh, how well he does a good job balancing between sounding uh, professionally grumpy all the time, especially when he's dealing with a lot of his like very loud and annoying students. It's a, and like a, and uh, like a, and as mentioned before, I do think he is basically just Calico before he gets tenure. And that he, that, in that, in that, like Calico, he hates all of his students equally. And that's what's appreciated. And so, and, so, and, but, yeah, he just does a pretty good job of getting across uh, with a lot of waivers exhaustion. Uh, but also, so, uh, but also a lot of the PTSD he's dealing with. And, so, and the fact that, like, waiver is just, like, very clearly depressed about everything that happened during the last Holy Grail War and all his regrets, and I think that Lucian did a really good job of 
I've got it sounding a lot of the ball, golly, he feels about that, and you can definitely hear a lot in this tune. As I, and uh, I think he does a really good job of just kind of portraying uh, Weber's arc throughout the show as he tries his best to process that. Um, especially when he finally kind of has all his encounters with Hephaestion, who kind of uh, who kind of calls about a big wishy-washy and as I, as I, and how in dealing with her, Waver kind of finally, at last, comes to terms with the fact that his Kandar isn't coming back, and he just kind of has to make his peace with that. And I think uh, Lucian did a really good job of kind of getting that silent acceptance across really well. But of course, his big thing is definitely that final scene with his Kandar, where he kind of breaks out into his happiness and adjustment. Lucian did a really good job of this selling all the various phases of emotion Waver was really good at that moment. It was uh, it was a really strong performance. Uh, and definitely cool he got to come back to play this character after all this time. Cool. Uh, Lucian Dodds finally got a lead role after all these years. Uh, you've been <laughs> you've been campaigning for so long and so hard, and you finally fucking got it, my man. Yeah, uh it's not the last time, but uh, yeah. Great job. Here's hoping. Come on. Come on, anime industry. Give us another one. All right, Roots, bring All us right. home. Um, so I am probably just going to segue directly into my final thoughts when I'm done with, with this. Um, yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, Lucian Dodge as Lord Elmoloy II. Um, congratulations, Lucian Dodge, for finally memeing yourself into a lead role. Um, you absolutely deserve this. As everybody else was alluding to, like, he had to undergo, like, three stages of Waver and Lord Elmoloy's voice over the course of the show. Like, the the Fresh from the Holy Grail War Waver, the trying to reclaim, you know, lost elements of Iskandar sort of couple months after the Holy Grail War Waver, and then big grown-up, tired millennial dad steely dan record in the record player lord elmoloy because don't forget kids steely dan is the band for dads millennials the tired and tired millennial dads and uh, yeah uh, this may or may not be relevant this may or may not be a little bit joke in another episode that is not technically out yet <laughs> um <laughs> Will it be out before then? We don't know. Lord Elmoloy is... He is tired of all of his students' shit, but he's hes also just like, yeah, he's hes not gonna walk away from them either. Like, he... I made an investment in these kids. I can't... I can't quit now. But it also... The, the deductive reasoning that Lord Elmoloy shows that you don't actually really get to see on screen, but whatever... That comes through really well. And, um, honestly, I, there's not really much to say because, you know, everybody else in the episode kind of said it a lot better than I can, but, um, it really goes to show how much Lucian Dodge has sort of evolved as an actor in the, God, I want to say it's been like eight years since Fate Zero has been dubbed. You know what? Eight, eight sounds about correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just... God, I I 
can't remember exactly how long Lucian Dodge has been sort of around the the LA anime dubbing scene, but like going from Waver Velvet and Fate Zero to Lord Elmoloy the Second in the Case Files, um, it really shows his growth and evolution, and like that's a really interesting thing to be able to witness. So props and heavy thumbs up to Lucian Dodge on this dub that unfortunately is kind of hard to get your hands on right now, which brings me into my final thoughts. Um, because... Yeah, go ahead, man. Honestly, the difficulty of obtaining the dub of this show is its biggest detriment. Not to mention, the show itself is like very deep end in Tight Moon lore. Uh, which is going to turn a lot of people who may have seen Just Fate Zero off. It's fun in its own right, but you're going to get lost really quickly. Um, but coming back around to the dub and sort of its kind of not particularly easy way to come by, um, it is, in the U.S. at least, it is currently only available via a $140 Blu-ray box set. So, my metric for can I recommend this dub is, can I recommend somebody pay $140 to watch it? And, honestly, my answer for this is the same as it would be for any other anime. And that is a resounding no. Um, like, I would, I'm gonna be completely honest with you, um... Back around the time Bandai Entertainment went out of business, um, and like Cowboy Bebop was like 140 bucks, I wouldn't have recommended it at that price. Uh, even before we knew Funimation had license rescued it, I would not have recommended it. However, comma, if a streaming option were to be made available, either between now and when this episode actually goes live, or you know, at some point, I would more than heartily recommend it to people. Um, honestly, it's just the price of entry that is the biggest barrier for me. I'm just going to say this right now. If if this goes up for streaming, like, either before this episode comes out or, like, very soon after it does, I'm going to laugh my fucking ass oh, off. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, same. Jet, go next. Okay, uh, yeah, this is a perfectly okay show. It's not a particularly great detective thing, but I mean, like, it's fine. Uh, basically, if you like Waver, you will like this show. If you don't like Waver, uh, look elsewhere, I guess. Uh, dub is really solid, and uh, there's a really nice ensemble here, and, uh, and yeah, Lisa does really kills it again as Waver. Uh, fantastic job there. Uh, yeah, like Chris was saying, uh, it is a little hard to for, to recommend this dub currently because uh, because I was willing to like I was willing to put down 140 bucks for this being as an impulse thing, but I definitely can recommend not to other people. So uh, for now, I would say just wait for a streaming option. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, it will come. Eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I'll say this. I I am deep enough in the fate hole at this point, thanks to all of you fucks, that I at least found enjoyment in this show. 
the, uh, there's a lot of cameo. There's a lot of fan service. There's a lot of uh, callbacks and references to all the different Fate series lore and mythos that I appreciate. This is a. Te- if, I'll say this: if you're new to Fate, this is as terrible an entry point as you could fucking get. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you only like watched maybe even just Fate Zero or Fate UBW, I don't think I'd recommend it either. I think this is specifically those who are really invested in the lore, the universe, and, like, at least three to five other side series of Fate. That's who I'd recommend this to. I But, yeah, if you are a big fan specifically of a lot of these characters, notably of Waver Velvet, it delivers on his character arc and his evolution as a person and a teacher. It does some really interesting things there. I think some of these characters are fun and enjoyable, but I think as a mystery show, it's kind of terrible. It's actually kind of fucking terrible. As a magic fantasy thing, it's pretty decent, but kind of weird. I enjoy this show as a Fate fan, but as an actual series, I don't think it's that great. What I do think is pretty strong, though, is the dub is pretty goddamn solid. I'm grateful to see Lucian Dodge evolve as an actor alongside waver as a character and i think the cast and crew ensemble is really strong and you can tell christian erica and everybody else in this is really giving their all and really really doing a bang-up job i was really i really enjoyed the cast and crew of this for a show i wasn't particularly thrilled by and yeah i if this comes for streaming and you're a big fan i will recommend this as of, as it is right now, it is not worth the steep Anaplex of America price. Oh yeah, definitely. If this wasn't a... I wouldn't have blind bought this. I'll be real with you. Uh, I bought this because I like the show. I think this is a great anime. Is it is it flawless? Absolutely not. Is it for everybody? Fuck no. Is it for me, somebody who loves Waver Velvet's character and would die for the man? Yes. Um... I like this show a lot. This is actually one of my favorite anime in 2019. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. I had a, a great time watching this dub. I can't recommend the dub more than enough for people who are fans of it. I This is a show when somebody asks me, where do I start with Fate? I'm like, don't touch this until you've watched Zero. And probably UBW. Um, but... I think the thing that I like the most about this dub is the the cast. There's a lot of people who have been in Fate before or are coming back into it and just get to, to slip into that skin again and it seems almost it's perfect. And I could not compliment Lucian Dodge as, as Wafer Velvet anymore if I tried. Um, this is an absolute triumph for him performance-wise. I think it is one of my favorite performances of his. I think his Zero performance is stronger. But if you ask me, like, this to me was a lot like Laura Bailey coming back for Toru. Where, like, I loved the original performance so much that even if this wasn't as good as that original performance, it put a huge smile on my face. Uh, just for the sake of time, if do you guys mind if I run through all your contacts and stuff? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. All right, cool. We're gonna speed. We're gonna speed run this. If you'd like to follow us, we're the Dub Talk Podcast. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. Tumblr is dead. Uh, we post episodes every Friday. Every Friday at five o'clock. 
Uh, we stream on our Twitch channel multiple times a week. Please pay attention to our Twitter, where that is the most accurate and up-to-date way to get a list of who is streaming, what, and when. Uh, I don't want to say anything at this time about what we're playing, because obviously that is subject to change. Uh, if you'd like to support us as a one-time only thing, we do have a Ko-fi link below. You can donate there. But if you'd like to support us on the regular, we do have a Patreon, and we'd like to thank our Patreons. At our $5 tier, we have my mom and dad, Michelle Travis, the Miraculous Corazon, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, Sue Tweedy, and Victor Mayborda. At our 10-level tier, we have Carly Lestical, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilkins, Jared Hawkins, Julia W., Marissa Lenti, Millicent Snowberry, and Otaku Anthony. Uh, if you'd like to follow any of the other gentlemen on our episode with me, uh, we first have Jet, a.k.a. Divine Nega, on Twitter. He posts anime reviews as well as works on podcast O&A. We also have Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. He also works as a Funimation Discord moderator. He also does podcast O&A. Then we have uh, Patrick, a.k.a. Roots of Justice. He is one of our Twitter... Uh, sorry. Uh, Jet also streams on Twitch. Andrew also streams on Twitch with staff. Um, Patrick also streams on Twitch. You can follow him at Roots Justice. He also is planning to get a blog up and running again. And if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at QueenNerd2 on Twitter, uh, where I shitpost. They also hang out in the Funimation Discord. And I also stream every, uh, I usually stream as well. Uh, with that being said, this has been a long episode. Uh, so we'd like to, uh, everybody to get off the, the railgun train, put away your magic eyes, uh, and get to sleep. Take a deep breath. You, you did good there. Jeez. <laughs> All right. With that, everybody say goodnight. All right. Good night, everybody. Otaku on and figure out why you done did it. Why you did done do dot did it. Why? The, the who done it, why done it, where done it, we're done here. Good night. Why Otaku did you just listen to us talk for three hours? That is the why done it. It's a fade episode. What did you expect? Otaku on the dabba. And remember, kids, it's only 10 here if you haven't killed a student yet. <laughs> also, I love you, Waver Velvet. Bye. <laughs>